Fingers crossed this works. Yes! <laughs> oh, what a terrible start. What a terrible start to the week, dear listener. Good morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Monday, it's the 5th of November, it's just gone 6 o'clock. What are you doing up? I have to be up, it's my job, but you... Hope you had a good weekend. I did lots of kids' things. I went to see uh, 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 Baba the Elephant on Saturday morning. I've no idea what we did Saturday afternoon. We did something. And then yesterday, it went to the Aeroplane Museum at Hendon. It's free! It's my boy's favourite place. Aeroplanes, isn't it? They love aeroplanes. I, myself, have no interest in aircraft whatsoever at all. But I have interest in free things. So that was good. Lots coming up on the show this morning, including... Concerns over standards of care at Milton Keynes Hospital. At what point would you give up your seat for someone on public transport? Pregnant woman? Old man? Someone with a stick? Would you do it? And children should be made to stay in school at lunchtime to stop them buying unhealthy snacks and takeaways. That's according to one report. I was surprised to find out that kids are allowed out of school at lunchtime. Does your local school let children out to the shops at lunch? Really? When did that happen? You can get in touch by emailing 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333. Starting your text 3CR, or you can give us a call. This is the best way to do it, isn't it? 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. The family of a uh, a child who died at Milton Keynes Hospital are concerned the hospital is not doing enough to improve the standards of their care. 13-month-old Calvin Prentice Orcock died in November 2010 because staff failed to diagnose his condition and he suffered a heart attack. But the hospital say their improvements are working. We spoke to mum Hannah shortly after her son's death. Milton Keynes knew Calvin. They knew him very well and they still couldn't recognise when he was very seriously ill. He was dying. They didn't recognise it. They, he was left to fight it out on his own. And he did that for a good time. And he was just let down completely by the whole of the medical staff. It was recognised on charts that he was very, very poorly, but not by the doctors. The nurses recognised and they went off their own back to get him the extra support. But unfortunately, it was, it was too late by that time but he was never recognised as very seriously ill by the doctors. We don't want it to happen to anybody else. We don't want anyone else to go through this. We want people to, if they think something's not quite right, question it. Go with your judgement and question. Don't just sit back and think, oh, they're doctors, they know what they're doing. You need to question and follow your instincts. If you don't feel it's right, question it, and the hospital needs to make big changes in making sure that this doesn't happen again, that procedures are followed, they're there, but they need to be followed, and they weren't in our case. Changes have been made since Calvin's death. Milton Keynes Hospital insists their improvements are working, as Medical Director Martin Wetherill explains. The paediatric department has had a very difficult time in in recent years. Uh, We have, as a result of, uh, of some of these deaths, we've looked at our processes uh, and radically changed them. Um, and in the last nine, ten months, there has also been change in leadership uh, uh, from the doctor's point of view to try and improve and drive home the high-quality standards that um, we attain to. And I think there has been a lot of progress uh, in doing that. 
I fully appreciate that by saying that doesn't convince or may not convince a lot of people, especially those who've been listening to the media in the recent weeks. Uh, but uh, not only have we got internal assurance that this is occurring, but we, I've asked for external assurance, and we have a number of external uh, reports from outside, from highly reputed bodies, that say we are making progress. Mark Lancaster, MP for Milton Keynes North, is meeting with the hospital next month to check staff are continuing to do a good job. It's been an ongoing issue for some time, and that's why I've been monitoring the improvements very closely. Indeed, my own daughter was born there in 2008. So we do take these matters very seriously. I intend to keep a very careful eye to make sure that positive progress is made. I mean, this is a process that started almost two years ago, and for the CQC actually to give the hospital a clean bill of health, I think, in April, um, shows some of the positive steps that have been taken. And you can hear more from Calvin's mum, Hannah, who'll be speaking to Look East this lunchtime on BBC One from 1.30. Plenty on the show. I have a personal request as well this morning. It's to do with flasks. My flask is really stinky, and I've tried cleaning it and leaving it in boiling water. How do I stop my flask stinking? It just smells rank. I know, it's horrible. It just stinks. Not that song, of course. It would never suggest anything about the real thing. How could you dare do that? But it, it, it's a lovely flask, and it, the, the, it's got it's full of uh, rooibos tea at the moment. Yeah, it's very poncy. I know. It's Yeah, I know. But uh, it stinks. And uh, I, I noticed this problem last week, and it was putting me off my tea ever slightly. Uh, so last night I thought, right, I'm going to really, I'm going to clean this. I, I haven't cleaned it ever. So I had boiling water in the flask all night, and you know the sort of nozzly bit that the, the drink comes out of? Uh, I'd unscrewed that, and I'd left that soaking in boiling water, confident that when I came down this morning, it would smell fantastic! And it didn't. It just stinks of, like, I don't know, I don't want to say, I don't want to say poo. It does a little bit. It's just, it's, I know, I know, don't ask. It's just, it's horrible. So, th- th- there, I guess this brings up two things, dear listener, of, of which I am, inc- of all the, the huge things that are going on in the world. They're having an election in America, did you know that? Anyway, this is more important, <laughs> to be honest, this is more important. How do I get rid of uh, the smell of my flask? That's the first, the most basic question. How do I get rid of the, the stinky smell from my flask? Which then leads us on to a second thing. How do you get rid of smells, per se? I've got another smell in the back of my car. I won't go into details, but just to let you know, I do have a young baby. Yeah, I know. We were driving back from the airplane museum yesterday, and I, I said to someone, and yes, they had. So, how do I clean my flask? And, and I'm guessing, and I don't mean to be sexist here, I'm guessing it's the blokes that'll know the answer to this one, because I, I don't think women use flasks, do they? It's only, I don't think they do. I think it's only men. I've never seen a woman holding a flask. Ha- think about it. Have you ever seen a woman holding a flask? I bet you haven't. It's only men. I'll tell you why, because men are sensible. Men know that you can save yourself 40 pence from the drinks machine by having a flask with you. I don't think women do. The thing I can't abide, and maybe you're one of those, and if you are one of those, do give me a call and let me know, is those people that, they they don't have a flask, they have like a big metal cup. Have you seen the big metal cups with lids? They're sort of like flasks, but they're not, they're just cups. There's something very peculiar about gentlemen that carry those. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. It, It turns out there's a myriad of things to do with my stinky flask. How do I clean my flask? How do you get rid of smells? And is it only men? that use flasks. It must be. 
I have never seen a woman holding a flask in my life. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sophie, before you go, uh, I have to ask, are you a flask user? Oh, I'm not, no. Thank you very much indeed. BBC Three Counties, the first for news. <laughs> oh dear. Well, via the email, I'm being sent some... Catherine Boyle, who does the news. What a potty mouth. I'm going to collect all of these emails that Catherine Boyle, newsreader, extraordinary, is sending me. And then after a year, I'm going to take them to my boss and I'm going to get her fired. Uh, flasks are the order of the day. It's the most important thing. And I love the fact that we can do a show like this. And we, we're talking about all kinds of serious uh, and, and important and big issues today. And we, we'll, we'll be talking about the, the presidential uh, race over in the States and gambling and problems with gambling and all kinds of things. I mentioned the fact I've got a stinky flask. The phones go mental. What does that say about you, dear listener? 08459 455 555. David's in Woburn Sand. Stinky flask. What on earth do I do, David? Uh, good morning. Trust the men to know the answer. It, it's uh, a, but women don't use flasks, do they? They don't. They don't. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen them use flasks. I, I, I threw it out as a slightly flippant, vaguely sexist comment, and then yeah. I sat back and thought about it during that the, that travel uh, bulletin, and I cannot, I cannot picture a woman holding a flask ever. Nor can, I, nor can I. And yet, men, you see, men on the trains, men walking down. I proudly display my flask. In fact, I'm going to pour myself a cup of stinky tea. There we go. Well, you won't, you won't have to soon. I've got the answer, I think. Go on, what do I do? Right, what you need to do yes. is clean it again thoroughly. Yes. Le- leave it to dry overnight. And then put four teaspoons full of bicarbonate of soda in there. Can you still get that? It's not 1976, you know. No, it's it's in the cooking products in in the um, Tesco in the um, I've in heard of them. Tesco, yes, well. yes, the shop. Yes, yes. Okay, yes. so bicarbonate of soda and and, and what? Soak it in that. Uh, no, just leave leave the bicarbonate of, of soda. Um, uh, don't dissolve it or anything like that. Yeah. Just leave leave it in the flask. Yeah. And um, in a few hours' time, you you will no longer have a smelly flask. I, I need to rinse it out. I'd imagine, would I? Yes. Okay. Afterwards. Okay. Yes. What, do, what do you what do you have in your flask, David? Um, well, it depends, really. Um, uh, coffee, um, beer occasionally. Whoa! Hang on a second! You put beer in a flask? Would you open a ca- couple of cans and pour them in? Oh, yes. Especially, <laughs> if I'm go- especially if I'm going on a coast trip. Yeah, we go. David in Woburn Sands, he has a boozy flask. Thank you very much, David. Gypsies, traps and thieves. I don't think we're allowed to say that anymore, are we? OK, so the rule is, if the song is really famous... I'm not going to say who it is or, 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 or who's singing it and what it's by. Does that make sense? No. I'm not going to say what the song's called and who it's by. If the song is really famous, I'm not going to do that, because I'd, that's patronising, isn't it? It's like you hear the Beatles, please, please... That was the Beatles and please, please me. I know! It's the Beatles and please, please me. So that's the rule from now on. If it's a really famous song, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to assume that I'm dealing with an audience that has uh, uh, some kind of knowledge about these things, OK? Oh, wait, I'm putting a lot of faith in you, by the way. Oh, wait, four, five, don't let me down. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Nikki's in Aylesbury. Good morning, Nikki. Good morning. I'm assuming that you make a flask for your man, do you? No. Oh, why have you called in about flasks, then? We all know that women don't use them. No, you know that you haven't seen them. Oh, go on, tell me more, Nikki. I'm intrigued. Well, they don't normally walk round with them in their hands, do they? Where do they put them? Uh, inside a shopping bag oh, or right. inside their handbag. You can't fit a decent flask in a handbag. Uh, have you seen the size of some of the handbags these days? Yeah, good point, good point, yes. Touche. So, are you a flask user? I am. 
Ooh, I, I, Nikki, I suddenly I'm 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 surprised and I'm uh, excited at the thought of speaking to a lady. <laughs> it is it's a lady who uses flask. It is primarily men, though, isn't it? It's a blokey thing to use a flask because let's be honest. I'm going to use indoor language. They're phallic. They're kind of big and they're feisty, and and, and women don't don't want to be fussed with all that stuff. You have change for the coffee machine. Yes, but the stuff that comes out of them is disgusting. It is disgusting. Yeah, no, no, no. you should tell my boss here that is horrible stuff. <laughs> so what do you have? Do you have a flask every day? Uh, no, because I don't go out every day, but I use it if I'm going anywhere in the car, for instance, on a journey. <laughs> a journey take... in the car, you say? Well, you <laughs> <know>. modern. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, if I'm going any distance, yes. then I might, you know, want to stop on the way and have a cup of tea. Okay. Have you seen those silly old men, though, that have those big metal cups? Have you seen the big metal cups? You yes. get them in service stations and stuff. It's a big, big metal cup, and it's like five ninety nine, And it's like a flask, but it's not a flask, it's a cup. Yes. I think those men are perverts, Nikki. I've got one of those as well. Oh, dear! <laughs> <laughs> Have you? Does that make me a pervert, too? Yes, it does. Does it? All right, That's then. on your cackle. They're useful for putting milk in, though. Because <laughs> I don't like to have the milk and the tea together. Here we it go. It makes it boiled. Here we go. Here we go. This is it. This, this, you're, you're, you've opened up the psychology here, Nikki. A man will put the whole drink in the flask, OK? I made myself uh, four cups of tea this morning, all with the tea bags and the milk, and then I poured those one by one into the flask. You have the milk separately, do you? Yes. Why? Because if you put it in the tea, by the time you drink it, it's got a flavour of boiled milk. I don't like boiled milk in tea. I like my milk to be cold when I put it in. You're quite a feisty lady, aren't you, Nikki? Oh, yeah. Can I ask you a question, personal question? You can try. I'm going to guess your age. Go ahead. 42. Well out. Higher or lower? Higher. Really? Yes. Oh, that was me going to the limits. 56. <laughs> More than that, I'm afraid. 62? Not quite. Uh, 59? No. Let's say 60. Indeed. Uh, would, would you be offended if someone offered you a seat on a bus? No. Not at all. Would you, would, you quite, would you quite like it? Yes. Does anyone do it? I tell you why, there's a story in, in uh, the mail today, uh, and it's a, it's a pregnant woman, um, at least that's what she says, uh, and she says that no one offers her seats on the bus anymore. Now, I, if I can ascertain that a woman is definitely pregnant and she's not retaining water or bloated, then I will offer her my seat without a shadow of a doubt. If I see an elderly person who's struggling a bit, I'll offer them my seat. But I, I've noticed that less and less people are doing it. Yes, I don't think that the young people have been built up, brought up to think like that these days. I guess some y young people, Nikki, might say, why on earth should they give up their seats? Yes, they do, because if they've paid their fare on the bus, they're yes. paying to sit down. And I, I've heard that said, actually, and I suppose in a way that's true, but it's, it's not really about that, is it? It's more about respect and, and taking care of people that need taken care of. I Do you need taken care of, Nikki? Do you? No, do you? Do I? Yeah. No. I'll, I'll come and take care of you, Nikki. Oh, will you? I'll, I'll come to Asbury and take care of you. <laughs> I had some kids offer me a seat the other day. Do you want, do you want a seat, mister? <laughs> I'm only 39! You must have been looking tired uh, after I, your early morning. I do look tired. And Nikki, I tell you what, I took that seat. I took that seat freely. Nikki, thank you very much. 08459 455 555. Uh, would you be offended if someone offered you a seat? I, I have seen it done where someone has offered a seat to someone who is pregnant. They were not pregnant. They were fat. Ouch. Right, you know who that was and what that song was, don't you? Right, most of you do. Well, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say it then. I'm not going to patronise you. It's a famous song and a famous group. Let's just, you know, have a little wink at each other and go, yeah, we know. We know.
on FM, AM and online. BBC Three Counties Radio. I was just talking to our next guest, our tour bunk guys. Coming up in the next half an hour. Do you remember on Friday we spoke to a woman called Deborah Knight? Well, she was nominated for a community award in Luton for her work she did with victims of abuse. She told me about what she did. Generally tends to be people who suffered from sexual violence or rape. Right. Um, although domestic violence we deal with as well. It generally as well... Um, tends to be adults who were abused as children who um, never got the kind of like services that they needed when they were a child and mm. so have now come forward as an adult as they're having difficulty in their later years and so we kind of work with them um, through that process to help them understand and appreciate what they've been through and, you know and obviously as it's run by victims we'll have an understanding and appreciation of how it's going to affect them. Well in a few minutes Deborah will be joining me again and we'll find out if she's won and when was the last time you offered someone a seat on public transport? Our reporter Sophie Soleri has been finding out just how courteous you are. Across Beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. But let's let's be honest. The uh, the, the main thrust of today's show has been about my stinky flask. I know, I know. We're dealing with all these important issues today, and uh, you basically you've got a middle-aged man worrying that his flask smells of um, bums. How do you get rid of the smell of flasks? Bev is in Northall. Good morning, Bev. Good morning. Morning, Bev. Uh, are you now? Listen, you, you're not a flask user, are you? I am. Yeah. Really? Now and again. Yeah. I, I'm finding more. Yeah. I, I, I've never seen a woman holding a flask. I don't want to be all sexist about this, but God damn it, it's a man's thing, isn't it? Well, my flask is very, very small. Oh, it would be. Yes. It's just one of those little duty ones. Well, what, what's the point of that? <laughs> what, what have you got in there? Whiskey or something? No, Redbush tea, actually. Oh, red, I'm a Redbush as well. Well yeah, done, yes. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, definitely. So, Bev, how do I get rid of the stinky smell? Well, you actually get um, a false teeth cleaning tablet. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, well, you, oh, right, yes. You put very, very hot water from the tap into the flask. Yeah. Drop one of the tablets in Ooh. it. Leave it overnight. Yeah. Wash it out the following morning. It can be just like new. It'll taste like an old man's mouth. No, no, no. Really shiny, really new. Just make sure you fill it out properly the following day. Really? It's a, so data yeah. tablets. Yeah. And you also can use that method if you've got any really awful dirty mugs that yeah. are really brown on the inside. Yeah. Same Ooh, you're thing. Good. You're good. Bev, I'm, I'm <laughs> guessing, because you know about denture treatments, that perhaps you are of um, a slightly more mature generation. No, I'm not. <laughs> well, I'm doing <laughs> no, terrible this, with my... This was what my parents used to do. Well, how old are you? And my father took a flask to work every day. How old are you? I'm going to guess. Uh, the 40, 48? <laughs> I'm glad you stepped in first, because I was going <laughs> to go... I haven't, I haven't got false teeth yet, no. Uh, no. Well, uh, OK, so I'm guessing you're not quite at the age where people will be standing up and offering you a seat on a bus. No, unfortunately not. You, no. You'd be up for no, it, would you, it, if they did? But it, it never, ever happened. No. And do you, if you, no, you're a 48-year-old lady, if you saw an old <laughs> man, <laughs> you saw an old man getting on the bus, right, uh-huh. he's, he's a little bit shuffly, would you offer yeah. him his seat, your seat? I would. Really? I would, definitely, yes. People yes. don't do it anymore. And I would make my children stand up to offer them a seat as well. Oh, ah, I get it. You, you, you'd no, make, I'd set a good example. You'd make them stand up first. Oi, get, get up. Get <laughs> up, Steve. <laughs> the, the old man wants a seat. <laughs> Mum, I don't want to. You'd do that, would you? I would. Good. I would. I would suggest my children were polite. Good for you, Bev. Well done. Our city and Carly Rae Jepsen. Good times. So you probably didn't know who that was. So that's why it's worth me saying that. Now, it was a very special night uh, the weekend for one woman from Luton. Everybody involved had a very difficult pick to decide who the winner of winners was because every single one of them 
was a worthy winner, whether it's the highly commended or the winners, people have made a huge impact uh, and have done a fantastic job in their respective fields. But the winner of the winners this year is Deborah Knight. Fantastic. Well, that was Deborah Knight receiving not one, but two awards for the work she does with abuse survivors as part of Abuse Victim Support. She won the Community Arts Award and was also announced, wow, the winner of winners. Doesn't get any better than that. The winner of winners. Deborah's in the studio along with her trophies. More. Okay, so which one's the Arts Award and which one's the winner of winners? This is the Arts Award. Oh, and let me turn. There we go. There we go. <laughs> this, is, um, the, this is the Arts Award, the glass one. Nice. Um, and this shield here is the winner of winners. The winner. Now, the glass one, be careful. A, it looks like it, it's quite sharp at the top. You could have an eye out with that. And you, I've just seen how clumsy you are with your hand out. <laughs> so I don't want any breakages on, <laughs> on these premises. Once you get out, you can do what you want with it. <laughs> uh, and you were telling me that you hadn't expected to win and you hadn't worn, mm. like, smart shoes or anything. No, I had smart shoes to walk in. Oh, right. Um, and yeah. obviously, I, I was surprised when I won, obviously, the, the arts award. Yeah. And um, when I got back to my table, I, I took my shoes off and I put on my socks and my... Training. Girls are a mystery to me because you <laughs> often see this like uh, 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 home time, like sort of five, six in the evening. You see women in smart suits and they're wearing trainers. This is a thing, is yeah. it, to carry like pair sh- spare shoes around? Well, I do. It's practical, isn't it? Like using a flask. So, <laughs> you're a flask user as well. <laughs> yes. Man, listen, we got a lot in common. We need to hang out. Uh, uh, but the winner of winners, you went up and you had your trainers on. Uh, no, I I was under the table changing my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, everyone was laughing around me because yeah, they I could they see. Were. I mean, my mum was right at the front because she was on a different table to me. Right. And um, I, I think they thought I'd gone home. Um, I was just having to put on these, like, heeled, strappy shoes that, you know. Did you, apart from having to change your shoes quickly, did you have a good night? What, what, I had a, pan- a fantastic night. What did it feel like being the winner of, of two awards? Um, it's an indescribable feeling. I, I mean, uh, many people have asked me that. I mean, I was speechless at the time. And even thinking about it, it's phenomenal. It's an amazing... I can't describe... I wish I could bottle the feeling and just, like, spray it around so everyone could share in it, to be honest. It's, it's just an amazing, amazing feeling to be acknowledged in this way. And to be... To, there are a lot of people in, in Luton that are doing a lot of work. Luton gets quite a bad... Unfortunately. ...rap, so, doesn't yes. it? Why yeah. is that? Does it annoy you? Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. I think... Luton, it's very diverse, you mm. know, we have so many people from so many different backgrounds, so many different cultures and religions, we all blend together so well, and yet we're always, like, only the negative is ever, ever seen, and mm. like, like I said, in that room that day, there were so many people who had achieved amazing things, had done remarkable things for people, go to extraordinary lengths, and they are never focused on, mm. nothing positive from Luton is ever portrayed, nothing, even though we were an amazing town, we do such amazing stuff, we look after each other, we're friendly, we're nice, we integrate, we blend, and yet no one, the world just doesn't see that, and it's such a shame, it's so unfortunate. You were, you were, um, a little bit sleepy, should we say, on Friday. Yeah. You're all loved up this morning, look at you! <laughs> You're full of it! Fantastic! <laughs> now listen, on the line we've got the person uh, who recommended you, uh, Suk Sani, who's the managing partner of Picton Solicitors. Morning, Suk! Good morning, good morning. Uh, no, now listen, uh, De- Deborah can't hear us. Oh, you, you can If you want to put the headphones on, you can hear us. You should be able to. If you, you, you can uh, unravel those. Sorry, I should have sorted that. So why did you nominate Deborah? Um, I think I've got to say firstly that it was an incredibly difficult task, actually. Um, as, as headline sponsors, we at Pictons were, were given the job of choosing the winner of winners. Um, and we were presented shortly before the awards ceremony on the night um, the details of the 15 winners. 
um, and it caused me a few sleepless nights, I, I can safely say, um, going through those. How do you choose from 15 people who have all, I'm sure, done fantastic things? How do you go, right, well, that one is the one? It was very, very difficult, but I think in fairness to Deborah, in many ways she did stand out, and I think it was really the, sort of, the difficulties that she had to overcome herself and to then use those in a positive way to help um, the victims of domestic violence, other victims of domestic violence. It's just an exceptional uh, story, and it, it, it did stand out. So why do you think it's important to, to recognise people like Deborah and, and all the others who were there the other night? Well, I think it, it goes back to a little bit of the conversation you had earlier. I think Luton gets a lot of bad press. I mean, as a business, we've been in the town for 40 years, and we know all the good that goes on in Luton. And I think the community wards, you know, gives us an opportunity to showcase that good, and it really does stand out in the winners and all of the nominees. Deborah, anything you want to say to Suk? Thank you. <laughs> thank you. It was a pleasure. Suk Saini, thank you very much indeed. He's the managing partner of Picton Slisters. Uh, Deborah, listen, thank you so much. Congratulations. I do have to say that we had a little inkling on Friday that possibly you were in the running for, for, for one award. We had a little inkling. We, weren't, we didn't know for sure. Uh, but we were all kind of making sure that we were watching what we said, just in case we gave any false hope. Okay. <laughs> that uh, congratulations. Thank uh, you. Well, you're, you're, you're off to some fireworks tonight, aren't yes, you? Yes, I am. I'm taking my nephew to see some fireworks. Superb. That's what it's all about. Enjoy the rest of your day, and don't, please, for goodness sake, do not drop that glass award. Thank you. Thank you. There we go. Uh, that's Deborah Knight, who uh, received an award at the weekend. Fantastic stuff. I bottled out of Movember again this year. I always do. I always do. I kind of think, yeah, I'm going to go for it, and then I'm not. The thing is, I, I think that if I, if I do, I, I, I do want to grow a moustache one day. Um, that I, I, being sponsored would put too much pressure on it. That makes it a very pressured moustache. Maybe I should just do it private, privately and just do it. It's like I've always wanted to... I wouldn't mind running a marathon. This is going to make me sound so miserable and so selfish. I, I, I wouldn't mind running a marathon, but I wouldn't want to be sponsored for it. Suddenly it becomes pressure. No, no oh, I'm getting dirty looks from next door. Suddenly the, you, the, there's pressure on. If you're being sponsored, and then your mates go, oh, Ian's running the marathon for, I don't know, cancer or MS or whatever. We've got to sponsor him. I do sometimes think you should just do these things just for the sake of doing them. Am I sounding hideously uh, selfish and, and ungrateful? Yes. Yes, I am. I'm getting the nod saying yes. That's exactly uh, what I'm doing. Now, a journalist writing in uh, the Mail today asks, why won't women give me a seat on the bus? At eight months pregnant, Antonia Hoyle says she's horrified by the unchivalrous behaviour of her own sex. So she's saying that it's mainly women who won't give up their seats. That she kind of gets snide looks and dirty looks and that she's even had a few comments. Well, BBC Three Counties reporter Sophie Soleri has been in Toddington this morning finding out just how courteous you lot are. Every time, well, uh, elderly or a lady who's pregnant or something like that. Every time. Not necessarily that. I mean, a young woman with children or something needs to seek, look after the kids or something. You're quite chivalrous then, Sarah, as a, as a man. Well, Where did you learn male, that? Well, my dad. It's uh, respect of other people. And that's it, yeah. That's the way the world should be. That's my son. He's going to give you the same And answer. this is your son. You, Sarah, what do you think? Yeah, well, pretty much the same thing. I generally, every time I get on a train or whatever, I generally stand anyway, normally. But, uh, like, same thing, like, on a bus or a train. Like, yeah, you can generally tell just by looking at someone, like a, like a lady or, like, if they are pregnant or elderly. I'd, I'd just I'd give out my seat and I'm sometimes out of ten anyway. I'm just asking when you would give your seat up for a lady. Always. So they don't have to be pregnant or old? Yeah, don't have to be. You give it up for any lady? Yeah. Who taught you your manners, sir? I was grow like that, but I think my mum, my dad. Would you ever? Yeah, I would. Why? What? In what circumstance? 
you're always going to be sitting up for a woman, don't you? Does she have to be pregnant? No. Or old? No. What, so a lady gets onto a train and you're yeah. instantly given the seat? Oh, yeah. Who brought you up? To, well, what made you like that? Why I don't did know, the way I was brought up. And what did they tell you, your parents? Treat a lady nice. Would you ever give a seat up for a lady on a train or a bus? I would do, yes, actually, yeah. Um, I'm the old type. <laughs> <laughs> Is it any lady or does she have to be pregnant or old? Basically, I think any lady, generally, provided I were fit enough. I'm riddled with rheumatoid arthritis, but I would still get up. I would still... And I'm the type that would open a door and things like that. <laughs> Just going to send a, an email to myself to remind me to tell my sons to treat a lady nice. Okay, lovely. Uh, so, there we go. Listen, I would give up a, a seat for a pregnant lady, um, let's say over five months, and an elderly lady or an elderly gentleman. I wouldn't give up a seat to a woman my age... That's ridiculous. Listen, ladies, you burnt your bras, you've got the vote. Women's lib. You're not just going to have a seat just because you haven't got a willy. No, if there is somebody who is in need of a seat... Did I just say that out loud? That was one of those things I meant to think. Mm. Uh, I did. Um, So, if you're my age, or a little bit older than me, you're not going to get a seat. That's crazy. And the interesting thing in that report there from Sophie, excellent work, by the way, Sophie, is that um, it was only gentlemen. It was only gentlemen that get, would give up their seats. So can we find any lady that would give up her seat for a pregnant lady or an old lady or an old woman, old man? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I don't think women do give up their seats. I was wrong about the flasks. It turned out it turns out ladies do use flasks. I was incorrect about that. But uh, the women giving up their seats, really? I don't think that happens. Oh eight four five nine. Four double five five double five. I got a Twitter follower uh, about two months ago because they saw me on a train, recognised me, and they saw me give up my seat to an old lady. And this bloke sent me a message saying, I always thought you were a bit of an idiot. He didn't write that. He wrote something a bit rude. I always thought you were a bit of an idiot. Uh, until I saw you give up your seat, so I'm following you now on Twitter. So there you go, you see. It, it can work. And thank you to everyone who's texting in. 8133. Uh, 81333, starting your text 3CR. Uh, I, I need to soak my flask in either denture um, uh, tablets, M- Milton, the baby sterilising stuff, that's from Lynn, uh, or Phil says washing soda. What on earth is washing soda? It's not, we're not in the war anymore. I've got no idea what that means. It's Come on. That had me air drumming. How could you not air drum to that? You know who it is, you know what it is. I'm not going to say. That's the new rule. If it's obvious who the, the song is by and what the song is, I'm not saying. Ooh, I'm going to New York to see them in a few weeks. My wife is furious. <laughs> She's furious. Hey, listen, it doesn't matter if one of the kids don't eat. Now, the American presidential election is entering its final day of campaigning. Democratic President Barack Obama and his Republican challenger, Mitt Romney, have been crisscrossing the US in a bid to persuade undecided voters. At rallies across America's all-important swing states, the temperature has been rising, with the, coru- with the cries of Barack Obama's supporters calling for four more years in the White House. Ooh, that sounds terrifying, doesn't it? Matched by the voices of Mitt Romney's uh, team, hoping in two more days their man will have stripped President Obama of the top job. I see. So they're just shouting out lengths of time. Is that, is that how they decide over there? <laughs> they just shout out lengths of time. 
The latest opinion polls suggest the two candidates are pretty much neck to neck, although most commentators believe Barack Obama has a slight edge in the key marginal states. John uh, Zogby has been analysing American elections for the last 30 years. It's close nationwide. In some of those key states, the president has a slight lead. So I would say an ever so slight advantage in the Electoral College to President Obama. But really, anything can happen. In fact, one week ago today, the storm, anything did happen. Um, President Obama's response to Hurricane Sandy has been widely praised, but the clear-up is still just beginning, and the issue remains fraught with danger. Mitt Romney's attack has focused on the continuing problems in the American economy. Let me tell you why he fell so short of what he promised. It's because he cared more about a liberal agenda than he did about repairing the economy. Did Obamacare create new jobs? Did his war on coal and oil and gas create new jobs? Did his avalanche of new regulations help small business? Oh, you got it right. Almost every measure he took hurt the economy. Well, after seizing victory with the audacity of hope four years ago, only to take office in the midst of the biggest economic crisis in decades, it was always going to be hard for Barack Obama to recapture the rhetorical heights of his 2008 election campaign. He's been trying to combat Romney's challenge on jobs and the economy by reminding Americans of his achievements in office. But he told supporters in New Hampshire there's still more to be done. As long as there's a single American who wants a job but can't find one, our work is not yet done. As long as there's a child anywhere in New Hampshire, anywhere in this country, who's languishing in poverty and barred from opportunity, our fight has to go on. Our fight has to go on. Votes will be cast on Tuesday. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping this clip, right? Remind me that if if we are two more days before something really exciting happening, remind me to play this. Remind me. I just. Yes, I just I just need something exciting. I've got nothing exciting planned in my life at all. Now, will it work for Christmas? No, I won't be here two days before Christmas. There'll be something. Anyway, good morning. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Four minutes past seven. It's Monday. It's the 5th of November. Wow. I've got, I've, I've, it, Christmas shopping starts and, for me, will end soon. I'm going to say to my family, listen, tell me what you want for Christmas. If I haven't got it by the 20th of November, I ain't getting it. I'm going to stop my... I'm, seriously, I'm having my Christmas shopping done by the 20th of November. Uh, because I cannot... I just cannot face the rush of ordering things from Amazon online. I, you know, that's it. The 20th of November, it's done. Anyway, back to uh, what you're interested in. It's not my life. Coming up on the next hour of the show, a family speaks out about standards of care at Milton Keynes Hospital. When was the last time you gave up your seat on a bus or a train? Journalist Antonio, uh, Antonia Hoyle, who's eight months pregnant, says she's horrified that other women aren't courteous. We've heard from men who give up their seats. Women, do you do it? Would you? 08459 555. And the question of the day, this is what radio was invented for, and indeed, if ever I was going to win a Sony Gold, this is what it would be for. I've got a stinky flask. How do I get rid of the smell? I know, I know. Um, but bicarbonate of soda, denture tablets and washing soda have been suggested. I don't even know what washing soda is. I wasn't alive in the war. Uh, you can get in touch many different ways. 
3CR at bbc.co.uk. You can send us a text, 81333, starting your text 3CR, or, and this is the best way, because it's, it's nicer to talk, isn't it? 08459 455555. BBC Three Counties Radio. If only, if only there was something happening in two days' time, and that wouldn't that be great? You know, I'm good, something. I'm going to forget to play it anyway. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us uh, a call. Now, here's something quite uh, serious. The family of a child who died at Milton Keynes Hospital are concerned the hospital is not doing enough to improve the standards of their care. 13-month-old Calvin Prentice Orcock died in November 2010 because staff failed to diagnose his condition and he suffered a heart attack. But the hospital say their improvements are working. Mark Lancaster, MP for Milton Keynes North, has regular meetings with the hospital to check they're continuing to do a good job. There has been the investment. Also, I think since April 2010, we've had a one-to-one service with midwives at each mother. And indeed, I think in the latest CQC report, the, the body that sort of oversees the quality of care in hospitals, they did recognise that there has been significant progress in the maternity ward in recent months and years. But that doesn't mean to say that we can sit back on our laurel. Well, Martin Weatherill is the medical director at the hospital. I absolutely appreciate uh, the distress that um, the Orcock family must have gone through. Um, uh, and, and it is for that reason uh, that I have invited both the Orcock family uh, and uh, Mia's family to come in, because whatever I say... Uh, I can appreciate uh, may be treated with uh, a great degree of scepticism. I would like them to come in to meet the new team, to, to go through the wards if they, can, uh, if they would like to do that, to see what processes we have changed and the way that we're doing, doing things nowadays. And I think they will see that the hospital, the paediatric department we have now, is radically changed uh, from that that uh, was uh, apparent two years ago. What can you um, say further than that to assure people that the hospital is safe? I can say that we are putting into place more processes to check that our own standards against national and, uh, and uh, uh, national standards and qualities uh, are kept up to date. And I will also say that uh, we have external reviews from well-known bodies who come in to check that we are as we say we are. But I appreciate that whatever I may say, however many reports I may flag around, I think the only way to convince um, uh, people is for them to actually see, to come in and, and see us, and I would welcome that. Well, our reporter Sophie Solaria is with the grandfather of Calvin at his home in Olney, and we'll be hearing from him shortly. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Shall we have a look at the front pages? Yes, let's, shall we? Let's. Uh, the Guardian. On Souls to the Poles Day. Is that, is that what it's called? Yesterday was Souls to the Poles Day. Is, is that an actual phrase? Americans are so dramatic, aren't they? On Souls to the Poles Day, black America clings to faith in Obama and homeless families expelled from London by councils. Uh, and Cameron heads to golf in bid to sell Typhoon fighter jets. The Daily Telegraph. Fears over cut price care... In the NHS, NHS patients are receiving an unacceptable level of care from a growing army of unqualified healthcare assistants who've taken over nursing roles on wards and in care homes. An independent commission warns today. Clegg plans to subsidise nightmare costs of childcare. Childcare is very expensive. 
It is very expensive. Obama, this is all in the Telegraph, uh, Obama has uh, the edge over Romney in key states, and singles are back in fashion thanks to digital downloads. Louise Gray, you've given us gold. Hang on a second, everyone, everyone's ears prick up. Digital downloads have regenerated the singles market with 10 million, no, sorry, hang on, 10 music tracks selling more than a million copies this year. CD singles are not even sold in most high street stores. Just as tapes and vinyl disappear before them, but this does not necessarily mean the end of the single. Uh, well, uh, do you remember the CD single? Weren't they a pointless thing? They were almost as pointless as the K-single. The K-single. It was a cassette single. Let me quickly do the, uh, the Independent and the Times, and then we'll have a look at the others a bit later on. Uh, the Indy, Britain's biggest care homeowners have debts of more than £4.5 million. And the Times, red tape chokes army's vital recruitment drive. Uh, a problem with the recruitment of part-time soldiers threatens to undermine critical plans to expand the territorial army. 08459-455-555 is the telephone number. Now, your children or grandchildren should be made to stay in school at lunchtime to stop them buying unhealthy snacks and takeaways. That's according to the local authority Caterers Association. They surveyed more than 12,000 parents. Anne Bull is chair of the association, and she joins me now. Good morning, Anne. Good morning, Ian. First things first, Anne. I'm uh, obviously very old and out of touch. I didn't know that kids were allowed out of school at lunch times. Well, no, they, they are allowed at lunch times, but of course it depends on the policy of the school, Ian. And some schools actually keep um, up, up to year six in, and then uh, sorry, six form in. Others let um, pupils go out on on the high street, and of course that's a worrying factor for for parents. And, uh, and they've actually flagged it up in this later parent survey that they, I think they probably want. Um, pupils to stay on uh, on site because they know they're safe and secure. Uh, uh, when I was at school, the sixth form was allowed out. That was kind of like a little bribe to get people to stay onto the sixth form. You could go out and, and, and smoke your fags and stuff like that. Uh, but the rest, <laughs> you weren't allowed to do that, but people did. <laughs> but the, the you, uh, uh, younger kids weren't allowed out. That seems shocking. And so they're just going out, and of course you're going to go out and buy a bag of chips and a, a burger and, and rubbish like that, aren't you? Well, the, the temptation is there, isn't it? But uh, hopefully we are uh, through the caters up and down the country, and, and certainly in, in the uh, Lisa Parent page, showing that parents are satisfied with what the uh, um, caters are providing, and it's increased the satisfaction is, is better from last year to this year. So we are doing something right. Well, well, uh, what, what kind of stuff are you offering? Because uh, well, I, I, you do hear stories of school meals being a load of old rubbish, and of course people are working to um, uh, to budgets, and they have to meet targets. Are there any good school meals? Well, I think uh, there's been a lot of improvements, particularly from uh, state maintain having nutritional standards now, and so we have to comply with that, so that's mandatory. And, of course, what Lisa is worried about is that there's this two-tier system creeping in because academy schools don't have to have uh, the compliance like the, uh, the state maintain do. So we, we could be getting a two-tier system, and, and at the end of the day, Lisa advocates that ch- children uh, should be have equal access to uh, a good nutritious meal So are you school. saying this, and sorry, are you saying the academies are having better or worse foods than uh, the other schools? Uh, I don't think you can actually sort of measure it in that terms, Ian. I think it's just the fact that there's a two-tier system. That's a bit like there should be the same standard for all schools, irrespective of what education stream uh, the pupils are in. So it's a bit like, you know, sort of a guidance or a good practice. I mean, we all have to drive on the left in, in this country. Right. If we didn't, we'd have all sorts of problems, wouldn't we? Are you upset, Anne, just because the, the, the local authority caterers association, are they not involved with the academies we yes we've got a membership of um with a leading professional body and we represent 750 catering managers across the board in in local authorities private contractors academies then it should be up to them shouldn't it to to establish and and set the uh, the 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 kind of the, the, the base level 
to, to, down to the, the caterers on, on ground, and because they're very highly trained in, in nutritional aspects. And uh, obviously it depends on, on the school in terms of, of menu choices. But to have guidance in terms of nutritious m- meal is, is uh, something that comes through the standards. And of course parents have also indicated that they would actually like these standards monitored. And like, again, it doesn't happen in any of the schools, state maintain or academies. Is there still a rivalry, Anne, between um, the school dinners and the packed lunches? I used to get beaten up at school for two things. One was because I had a Betamax video, and the other was because I took a packed lunch. The um, school uh, the, the, the school meal uh, does provide the, the nutritious and, and the nutrition that, the, that all children need for growing. And, and ah, for but my mum's packed lunches always provided a hula hoop. Uh, thank you very much, Anne. I've got a packet of hula hoops for mum. And when she put, when she said, Anne Bull, thank you very much. We're going to move on. She is uh, the uh, chair of the uh, local authority caterers association. We've got a couple of texts here. Oh eight four eight one three double three. Starting your text three CR. Uh, air drumming. Dave says I've never air drummed in my life. What? Come on, man! Uh, I can remember the monkeys when they were on TV in the 60s, but I would go and see the last three of them. Yeah, oh, come, come on, air drumming. Right, tomorrow we're going to have an air drumming special. I want songs that have just got full-on drum solos. Uh, Jen in Houghton Regis, uh, a text on giving up your seats. I'm on crutches after a hip-hop and find most people very kind giving up their seat, but find it intolerable when big, beefy teenagers sit in the disabled seats and don't move. And Marsha in High Wycombe. I was sitting on a pack bus when the lady with the walking stick, stick got on. I gave her my seat straight away. She was 60. I'm 71. <laughs> and was just returning from the gym. There you go. Always worth a listen, uh, Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Always worth a listen. Now, almost half of us will have gambled in the past week. The last national survey of our gambling habits found there were around 451,000 problem gamblers in Britain. Wow. 451,000 problem gamblers. Profits last year hit £5.6 billion. Recently, in Milton Keynes, planning was given for a super casino. Tonight, BBC One's Panorama programme will investigate how gambling's place in society has changed since the Gambling Act came into effect five years ago. Ian Brown is from the British Psychological Society. Joins me now. Good morning, Ian. Good morning. Why do people gamble? Well, a variety of reasons. Um, Most people gamble just for pleasure, to relieve a boredom, have a... Uh, a, a mild, uh, you know, thrill sometimes, but uh, most seriously, uh, people gather, uh, get gambled um, for for real excitement, uh, and they also gamble. Some some of them, sometimes even the same people gamble for escape on a different occasion, just to forget everything. Uh, listen, I don't have a problem with gambling. I, I used to go maybe to a casino twice a year and I'd set a limit and go a little bit over that but for some people it is the same as drinking and taking a drug isn't it it, it, it gives them something and it becomes addictive in the same way that drugs can become addictive that's absolutely true yes how does how does that affect one person that way and and, and somebody else a different way um oh gosh a, a whole range of complex factors um it does depend what else uh, you have available in your life uh, in, in, in the way of um, immediately rewarding pleasures. Um, if you're in a seriously deprived environment and, and uh, you don't, don't have a lot of other um, uh, instantly available pleasures, then you're more likely to become involved. If you've got a certain kind of temperament where uh, you really need a lot of uh, excitement to get you going and to come alive, so to speak, you might be more vulnerable. And then again, um, some people are vulnerable uh, because uh, they, they need an escape, just like others take tranquilizers. 43% uh, of us have gambled in the last week, apparently. Is that too high? 
Oh, yeah, I would think so. Because I guess that figure kind of inclu- includes uh, things like the lottery and, 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 and things like that, doesn't it? Which, which Of course, it, which is gambling, don't forget. It is gambling. It's an idiot's tax, the lottery, though, isn't it? It is. <laughs> you just, you know, it's, it's pointless. We had a winner on the other week, but really, come on now. There's better things you can spend your quid on. Go and buy a Mars bar or something. Uh, it, see, the thing uh-huh. I've noticed is that, that gambling machines have exploded everywhere and that you can... They're in pubs and they're in clubs and you can gamble online, which you couldn't do a few years ago. I, I, does that make it more dangerous, being able to do it at home? Yes. Yes, I think so. Oh, I, as a... Uh, one of my uh, clients um, sat opposite his wife on the other side of the fire. He was playing with a computer. She didn't know what the hell he was doing. Um, and, he, and he lost the house. Wow, really? Yep. I guess I, I would imagine that part of that is because it's... When you're online, it, it doesn't feel like real money, does it? You're not having to That's put right. your, your card in or, or, or actually swap, you know, hand over £50 notes. It's, it, it, it feels like a game, doesn't it? That's right. And uh, one of the tricks of the gambling industry is to make you feel it is unreal, uh, they do their best. For example, you never find a pot in a casino. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and uh, I guess it's a similar thing with the chips, isn't it? The, the gambling chips. Again, it's, it's not real money. Is there anything that can be... Th- th- what can be done to help people who have got gambling problems? In I know there are, there are associations like um, Gambling Anonymous and things like that, but w- what can be done? Um, actually, the services are extremely poor. Uh, this, this country has denied that it had a gambling problem for something like 30 years. Uh, government, uh, of course, is short of money and doesn't believe in spending any anyway. Um, so it's not going to provide services. Uh, the, the most widely available is certainly GA, uh, as Gamblers Anonymous. But um, there are a few professionals around the country who can help from time to time. Um, there's an, an, or, an organisation called Gam Concern, which is somewhere based in darkest England, middle England, I don't know where. Um, and it does, uh, it will talk to you on the phone. Um, there are a few, few places that offer counselling for gambling, but very few. I only know of two in Scotland. Mm. Uh, Ian, listen, thank you very much indeed. Ian Brown from the British Psychological uh, Society. Well, Dinesh Ramanan is from Stoke and Church, and he joins me on the line now. Good morning, Dinesh. Good morning. You had a friend whose life fell apart, partly due to the gambling, wasn't it? Well, yes, actually, um, it was many years ago when um, I had just uh, set foot uh, into the UK, and um, I had this uh, good friend of mine who was... uh, uh, pretty well to do at that time. Mm. And he had a nice family with a small child, and uh, it so happened that uh, you know he uh, took me over to one of the um, you know gambling dens, and uh, uh, which was uh, my first experience, so to speak. And uh, he showed me how he could win, e- win easy money, and. Um, it, um, that was my first and last experience of uh, gambling at that time. And uh, after that, uh, they were, uh, you know, we used to uh, have a conversation every now and then. And he used to say, he has won money, he has lost money. And then uh, the next I got to know was that uh, through my other friends was that he has lost a lot of money and he's going through great difficulties. And uh, apparently it so happened that he was, um, you know, one thing one thing led to another. And uh, he started losing 
so much money and mm. also losing trust of his family and uh, friends because he had started uh, lying and uh, within a couple of years since the time uh, you know we you know we were aware of his gambling we got to know that uh, he's got a very strained relationship with his wife and unfortunately he um, um in around 2007 uh, i got to know that he has uh, split with his wife so he's basically uh, lost everything then Dinesh, because of lost gambling absolutely everything yeah mm. I, I think uh, you know the sense of responsibility that is associated with gambling is very easy to be lost mm. uh, and um, you know just because of the uh, uh, you know uh, uh, wrong impression of uh, what people might have mm. about winning easy money. Uh, well, it's that thing, it, is that you, you you lose lots of money and you keep thinking, all it takes is just one more, one more win, yeah. and I can get all this back. <coughs> excuse me, and I'll be on top. Do you speak to this friend still, Dinesh? Do, do you are you friends with him? Yes, I do, and that's one of the things that uh, I always believe in. That uh, you know, irrespective of what people do. Um, uh, you know, uh, he's gone. He's been a vi- victim of uh, bad company, perhaps yeah. bad associations. But um, I still speak to him, and unfortunately, he, uh, you know, uh, he's lost everything. He's realized that late. Mm. Um, he regrets what has happened. Uh, he has moved on, uh, but of course, his life is never the same again. No, of course, Dinesh. Listen, I, I appreciate your honesty there, and thank you, Dinesh Ramanan, uh, it's from Stoke and Church, whose friend, as you heard, uh, lost everything. You're a gambler. You, you, you're a fan of it. Do you enjoy it? You think it's all right? It does this online gambling. I'm not particularly a fan of. Years ago, when I kind of first started going to casino, I guess I was doing a, the eleven o'clock show, so it would have been about me and my friend Paul Garner. It was about ten years ago. And it was when to, you had to join a casino and you had to be a, have a member nominate you, and, and it was a real, it was a real faff to get into a casino. There are a few dodgy ones that you could go into, but it was a real hard work to get into a casino. Uh, and and when we went, it was a it was a special evening. We would plan it. We'd set a limit of how much, and always go over that a little bit. But we're going to have a meal. We're going to have a few drinks and make a night of it. And the first time I went, I won enough money to take me and my then-girlfriend to Prague for a weekend. I know! Couldn't believe it! I just kept betting on red or black. Double, doubled up, it? Doubled it up. But I, I, I don't... I, you know, I kind of... I do think it's a little bit of a waste of money now. I've not done it for a couple of years. I probably won't do it again. Um, but it, it, you can see how it is like doing a drug. How it's very Moorish. It's addictive. Uh, and it's just that, oh, I'm down 100 quid. If I, if I put 50 on double up, I'll be back to square one and then I can go. Oh, I, you, you can't. It's hard work. There are some people who just can't do it. If you want to phone up uh, and share your story uh, and be honest, uh, if you have a gambling problem or if you've struggled with gambling in the past or a friend or a relative of yours has, do give us a call. You can change your name if you want. 08459 455 555. Or maybe you went into a casino, put 50 quid down on well, number seven, and you walked away with 20 grand. It doesn't quite work like that. I couldn't work out the odds in my head. Maybe you've got a good gambling story. I don't want to be all negative and downbeat about it, but uh, 08459 455 555. Collins in Dunsmore. Good morning, Colin. Good morning. Do, do you like a little bit of a flutter every now and then? Uh, I used to. Um, I used to um, deliver on the continent and... Um, various places, and so I had overnight, um, 
on the ferries and uh, some of them had um, casinos and yep. uh, I used to you know while away the time with a drink and 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 and, and a little bit of um, blackjack or something the thing about casinos is free sandwiches if you're sat at the table they'll bring you free sandwiches Oh, we never had that. Oh, you're going to the wrong casinos, Colin. The ones <laughs> on the boats don't have it. The ones I used to go to, free sandwiches. Oh, I can never... I, 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 I tried the blackjack table once, and it was just the most humiliating... I, I didn't have a clue what was going on. Oh, it's, it's easy. Well, uh, Colin, you've not called in about casinos. No. You've called in about how to stop my flask stinking. It's very easy. Go on, let's have it. Um, make sure it's clean. And when I say clean, don't just do the inside... Because the seals are never that good. Right. So, take it apart. Oh, God. To wash it. Yeah. I know it takes a... it's a bit fiddly. That's a whole three minutes of my life. I, I can't afford that time, Colin. Probably more than that. Oh, gosh. But, um... Yeah, once it's thoroughly clean and dry, then put... before you put it away, uh, reassemble it and put one tape one teaspoon of sugar, ordinary granulated sugar in it, yep. and then put it away in the cupboard, and you'll never have any trouble again. Colin, you're a legend, sir. Thank you very much. Sugar will get rid of the stink. Superb. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Coming up in the next half an hour. Did you see Strictly Come Dancing at the weekend? I saw a bit of it. For some reason, my wife hired out the, the most shocking film I've ever seen. The Proposal. Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. Now, I'm a big fan of Ryan Reynolds. I think he's a very good-looking young man. I like his hair. Uh, and I like to think I model myself on Ryan Reynolds. Well, don't laugh at that. I do. I genuinely do. I think I've got what it takes to be Ryan Reynolds. This film was awful. Uh, we only saw half of it because we got very sleepy and we, we went to bed. But, but, but while we, I was trying to find the controller for the DVD player, we had Strictly on in the background. Oh, my goodness gracious me. Well, if you missed it, don't fear, because we'll be speaking to 10-year-old Gracie from Stevenage to find out what she thought about it. And let's be honest, her opinion today is the only one that, that counts. And when was the last time you gave up your seat on public transport? We'll be speaking to an etiquette consultant to find out when it is and isn't appropriate. <laughs> Call 08459 I saw a bit of it at the weekend. I don't get it. It's, it. I don't get it. I really don't. I don't need to get it, dear listener. Because we have a team of young experts who are all ten and under from uh, Beds, Hearts and Bucks who do watch it. And they do get it. Today, from Stevenage, it's Gracie. Morning, Gracie. Good morning, Ian. And how are you this morning, Gracie? I'm fine, thanks. You looking forward to going back to school after half term? Maybe, I don't know. Come on, it'll be fun. Is he back to school today, yeah? Yeah. You've missed, you've missed it, haven't you? You've missed all the, the physics and the PE and the woodwork and all of that stuff, haven't you? Well, I have missed Mrs Davis, but yeah. Who have you missed? Mr Davis? Mrs Davis. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry, Mrs Davis. Is she, is, what does she teach? She is my actual teacher. She's your actual teacher. And, and I, let's do a nice thing. Give, give me three reasons as to why Mrs Davis is so good. She's funny, she's yep. caring, and she's beautiful. 
Right. Two of those things I don't think are, are important in, in teaching. The care. Well, in fact, three of those things aren't important. This is what teachers should be, Gracie. And Mrs. Davis, if you're listening, she should be firm, stern, and a little bit ugly. Those are the, that's, I find the best teachers are those things. So I'm hoping Mrs. Davis is listening and she will, will, will take on those suggestions from me, Gracie. She might. I don't know. She might. You don't know. Did you watch Strictly at the weekend? Yep. Good. What did you reckon? Good. Oh, you sound. Oh, you sound a little bit jaded there, Gracie. Mm. What, what what was wrong with it? I don't know. It's just that Richard Arnold got a dancing disaster from Craig. <laughs> Look at that! We're getting the voices as well. But Richard Arnold, he's the showbiz expert. Yeah. Basically, right? He's just a man. I'm sure he's a nice man, but Richard Arnold, he's just a man. We're all showbiz experts. Really? We all watch TV, we all, we all read Heat magazine, we all know what's going on in the world. So he's just a bloke. Was he any good? Well, in the dance-off he was brilliant, but in the actual dance he got it wrong. Oh. He got every step wrong. Oh, and you get every step wrong. Mm. Uh, listen, I, I am someone, Gracie, I don't know if you've seen, I'll, I'll post it on the Facebook page, you should like us on Facebook, I'll post it. Uh, about two years ago, you know they do that, um... Um, the, the, the dancing for Let's Dance for Comic Relief and Sport Relief, and they get, like, famous people, in inverted commas, to do a dance. Yeah. Right, I did it one year, right? Did you? I did. I did uh, Will Smith getting jiggy with it. Uh, right. What, sorry? Don't know why you're laughing at that. Yeah. And I rehearsed <laughs> and I rehearsed and I rehearsed, and I, I wasn't very good, but I was all right. And then on the night, there was, right at the very start... I was a beat behind, and I spent the entire three minutes trying to catch up with that beat, and it was awful! So I can kind of sympathise with Richard Arnold. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'll post that video, it's on YouTube, I'll post it on the Facebook page after the show so you can have a look at it and, and, and laugh, um, and um, be amazed at how good a mover I am. Who, in your opinion, was the best dancer, Gracie? Um. <laughs> Ooh. Tough one this week, Denise Van Outen. Denise Van Outen, okay, and who was the worst, apart from Richard Arnold? Who was the worst? Yeah. Colin Salmon. Colin He's not He's not very good, is he? He went out, boss. Did he go out? Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the last, last we're going to see of him. That's who do good. you think, Gracie, from this, we, we've still got a way to go, who do you think is going to be the winner? It's either going to be between Lewis. Yeah. Who's Lewis? From, uh, from um, Midsummer Murders? No, not Midsummer Murders. Um, Morse. Lew- who's Lewis? Lew... Um, the gymnast. Okay, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Lisa Riley. Oh, right. Oh, right. Or Danny. Okay, so you've narrowed it down to Tracy Beaker. Yeah. So you've narrowed it down to three. That's yeah. excellent. And Gracie, going off on a slight tangent, you're sat on a bus, you see an old lady, really old lady of about 52, getting on the bus. Would you give up your seat for her? Yeah. Would you? Yeah. Would you? Yes. Would you? Yes. Really? If I was in a grumpy mood, no, but when i Tell your yeah. mum to keep quiet. What's your, what's your mum saying? He said pretend that you would. Okay, then pretend that you would to look nice. Gracie, thank you very much indeed. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. I like our experts. They're all excellent, apart from the ones we called on at the weekend. They said, right, you're going to uh, come on a Monday? Oh, no, we, we, didn't, we didn't watch it. <laughs> we should have got those on. If that happens again, we need to get them on to, uh, to name and indeed shame them. 08459 You just heard uh, me asking Gracie then, when was the last time, would she give up a seat? And apparently she would. When was the last time you gave up your seat on a bus or a train? I tend to do it if it's someone who's heavily pregnant, got to be heavily pregnant, and someone who's a bit old, like really old. Journalist Antonia Hoyle 
eight months pregnant. She says in the mail today she's horrified that other women aren't giving up their seat for her. Her problem seems to be with the women. Well, we've been hearing from you all this morning. One man said he always gives up his seat to any woman because he was raised to, and I quote, treat women nice. <laughs> it's good advice. Oh, I'm rhyming. I'm a poet and I didn't realise. <coughs> Excuse me. We can talk now to etiquette consultant William Hanson. Good morning, William. Good morning, Ian. Thank you for having it's me. It's a pleasure. Oh, you're good, sir. You're you're straight in there with the, with the politeness. You see, well done. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> why the, the the story today in the paper? The, the, the this journalist Antonia Hoyle says that it's women who aren't giving up the seat to her, even though she's pregnant. Why do you think that is, William? I I think some women will think that because they've got the seat, then just because they are a woman, you know, they've got it, so they should wait for another man to, to get up. And they are sort of they are sort of right there. Mm. I mean, they should be. You know, if you, if the woman's got a seat, if there are uh, other men on the bus, then then the men should be getting up for for the woman that's just come on. But you know, you may get on rare occasions a bus full of women, uh, in which case someone does have to get up. In which case it should be the uh, the youngest of the women. Uh, that gets up, the, the, the most able, which is presumably the, uh, the one of the youngest. We, it's kind of dying out, isn't it, I think? As I, I remember growing up in the 70s and the 80s, and I was always taught, hold the door open and, and give up your seat and things like that. And uh, being on the tubes in London and on buses around here and things, you don't see it very often, do you? You don't see it very often anymore, which is a great shame. I mean, manners in general and, and courtesy, they're, they're sort of dying out. We need life support to get them back. They, they can, they will come back, I hope. I think the pendulum actually is swinging back mm. with programmes like Downton Abbey and the Royal Wedding and the Jubilee. People are realising that actually that really it's really nice to, to be nice to people and it's not particularly difficult it's not rocket science uh, and if and actually i was on a bus about a year ago and an elderly lady got on and i was sitting at the front of the bus and there's a middle-aged lady uh sitting next to me and uh we both got up at the same time mm. to, to offer this woman our seat and i turned to the middle-aged lady and said oh no it's all right this lady can have my seat to which the the old lady said no i want hers <laughs> and i was mortified in Absolutely mortified. And, you see, if people start doing that, if, you know, if lots of old ladies got on and berated people, quite, you could see why people think, yes. well, actually, no, I'm not going to give up my seat anymore to anyone. There is a limit, isn't there, William? Uh, uh, the, the, uh, for example, I would give up my seat to a, a pregnant woman four months and over. Um, and yes, but how do you know she's four months and over, Ian? I mean, come on, you can't, you can't ask her. You can't, you can't ask for, for details and tests and things, but you can kind of get an idea. Otherwise, and I have seen this happen, they could be just a little bit chubby or have a bit of water retention. Well, yes, they, they could, yes. I have seen right. someone offer a, a, a seat to a woman who looked like she was pregnant, and the woman said, I'm not pregnant. And it, everyone in the train was like, oh, my God. It was awful. It was awful, mm. William. I, w I was mortified. Uh, yes, in which case I would have just turned around and said, yes, but you are, an, uh, you are a fellow human being. And sort of thrown it back at them. Uh, and, and sort of pretended that it wasn't actually because you thought they were pregnant. You should, because you certainly, you certainly don't stand up and go, would you like uh, my seat pregnant lady? Or anything <laughs> like that. You don't draw attention to the fact that they are pregnant. Um, okay, so pregnant women, uh, uh, old men or women. But, for example, I wouldn't give up my seat to uh, a woman who, my age, 30. I wouldn't, if a 39-year-old well, woman came on, I wouldn't give her my seat. That, that's okay, isn't it? Well, it's, it's more okay. If, if she came on, she looked like she'd had a really awful day and she looked sort of bedraggled or she'd just been running to catch the bus, for example, and she got on out of breath, then I think you, you should probably stand up no. and say, would you, would you like my seat? But William, I am, um, I am disabled. I have... I, I, yeah, let, me, let me retract that before we get loads of complaints. I forgot, I forgot where I'm working. I have a slightly bad back. 
Right. Right. So I, the, the, being afforded the luxury of sitting down, really, really does make my life so much more bearable. Yeah. But yet I look, from the outside, I, I look young, I look fit in both sense of the words, and I look very, very <laughs> healthy. So give, <laughs> but I would be expected to give up my seat. Yes. But I, I've, I've got a bad back. I'm afraid that doesn't really cut the mustard. I think there there are lots of other people that have some probably slightly, um, you know, worse ailments than than a bad back. <laughs> you know, you get and you've ba- probably got it. Why have you got a bad back? Is it because you've been slouching as a child? <laughs> I have a little bit of a sloucher. Yes. Well, there we go. No wonder it's your own fault. It's not like you know you've been injured. <laughs> William, what's the what's the correct etiquette? Okay, so the, 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 someone gets on the bus. What's the correct etiquette to give up your bus, uh, give up your seat, so that you don't look like you're being rude or patronising? What should what should one do? Well, with the minimum of fuss, I mean, you don't need to make a grand sort of ceremony about it, as I have seen people do from time to time. You simply stand up and say, um, would you like my seat, uh, madam or sir, depending on who you're talking to. Of course. And um, if, they, if they say, oh, yes, that'd be very nice, then you just simply smile and move aside. If they say no, go, you know, OK, and then just sit back down again. So it's not appropriate to go, I'll oh, get lost then, if they turn the seat down. That would be inappropriate behaviour. That would be inappropriate. You don't want to sink to their level. You want to raise them to yours. Well, I, I think you're ace. I love you. Have you got a website or anything in case people want to come and uh, have a look at your etiquette consulting skills? I do indeed. It's williamhanson.co.uk or you can follow me on Twitter at williamhanson. Thank you very much. So we're, we're getting you back on. You've got a regular slot as our e- etiquette consultant. Thank you very much, William. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. What do you think? If, if you saw a woman in in her mid-thirties who'd ran for the bus. Would you really give up your seat? Come on. Yes, pregnant women, four months and over. And elderly men and women, I would. Don't forget, you can give us a call any time uh, during the show about things we're talking about or things that we're not talking about that you think maybe we should be. 08459 455 555. The family of a child who died at Milton Keynes Hospital are concerned the hospital is not doing enough to improve the standards of their care. 13-month-old Calvin Prentice Orcock died in November 2010 because staff failed to diagnose his condition and he suffered a heart attack. But the hospital say their improvements are working. BBC Three Counties reporter Sophie Solaria has spent the morning with the grandfather of Calvin, John Orcock, at his home in Olney. Without wanting to upset you, remind us of what your family went through two years ago with Calvin. Um, two years ago, Calvin was admitted to Milkins General Hospital. Um... Unfortunately, the doctors didn't do, and the nurse staff didn't do what was appropriate for him at the time, and he eventually died. It was one of the worst nights, if the worst night of my life. Um, certainly my daughter, I don't know how she's coped with it since. We have difficulty coping. Um, the worst thing a father could ever do is watch his daughter actually nurse her child for two hours, waiting for him to die. Um... There was no hope for him at that point, and she did what a mother did, which was nurse a child to its last breath, something I couldn't do, um, and I wouldn't want anybody else to have to go through it. Unfortunately, we think the hospital let us down badly. Um, At the inquest, that was actually proven by the comments made by the coroner. Um, We came away from the inquest, and we took some heart from the family did, that lessons were going to be learned from Calvin's death so that other children and families wouldn't have to go through the same emotions, tragedy, feelings and loss that we went through. Tied in with this was Harry Gould at the time and the hospital were also, with that in mind, 
supposedly embedding all the lessons into their daily clinical practice. The coroner, in his summing up, said that there was gross failure in the deaths, um, lacks of opportun- lack of opportunity for resuscitation and care of the child, and also a lack of leadership in the care. And in my mind, that lack of leadership is still there at the hospital. Um, and there are further problems, as recently demonstrated in the news. This was triggered back up by the Mir Alcock death and inquest. We knew nothing about that, and we just heard the name on the news, and we just flashed back because of the similarities of the name and also the timing. It's an unimaginable tragedy for your family. Yours was the first inquiry. What were you told following its verdict? Well, we were told that actually the revised policies and procedures in dealing with acute paediatric admissions at the hospital were robust and now embedded in daily clinical practice. Um, But they obviously aren't. Well, they weren't, because only just four months later was when Mia Elcott died. And again, the same issues and concerns were highlighted by the coroner. So it's fair to say you are concerned? We're very, very concerned. We just, no other way to describe it, we're just so concerned that this can happen again, and it's just, it's just waiting. And that lessons haven't been learnt by the hospital? We don't believe so. Um, so much so that we, I've gone to now to my MP, Mark Lancaster, who's arranged a meeting with the hospital. Um, following that meeting, hopefully we might get some answers. Have you met with the other families and spoken? We've spoken with all the other families. They're in agreement and they're actually coming over this morning. You're not going to let this lie? We can't. We can't afford to now for the sake of other families. We thought the hospital learned the lessons after Calvin and took it no further. Now, we just can't. We can't, we can't not do anything about it. Very sad story there. Uh, you can't begin to imagine what that feels like, can you? Now, there are just 24 hours to go before America goes to the polls for the presidential elections. Not that long ago, Barack Obama looked almost certain to be returned to the White House for the Democrats. But his Republican rival, Mitt Romney, has closed the gap in the last month, and now the race looks too close to call. Storm Standy has been and gone, but the lasting effects are still being felt by those that were in its path. On the line now is former Hertfordshire resident William Jones. He's a news producer for NJTV in New Jersey. Good morning, William. Ian, good morning. Pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you very much. Can I ask, why, why did you leave Hertfordshire and, and move over to New Jersey? <laughs> it's a fine question. The Jersey Shore um, has, its tra- has its attractions. Um, I'm an American citizen. Um, so just decided that uh, I'd make the move about a year ago and uh, make my move in the journalism industry. And it's, uh, as you can see, over the last week, a very interesting place uh, to be in work. Well, it, it has been uh, incredible what's been going on there. What, what are some of the stories you've been hearing from your audience about, firstly, how, how they've been affected by the storm? It's uh, parts of the shore, parts of New Jersey have been absolutely decimated by the storm. Uh, I think there's still about a million people without power there and parts of the Jersey Shore, which of course made very popular by the, the TV show, have been completely destroyed. We've visited some of the towns there which simply don't exist anymore. Uh, houses have been washed away to the shore, into the water, and uh, people without power, uh, without the basis, basic resources, and uh, living in shelters now. So it's very sad indeed. Uh, the storms cause a lot of destruction. And indeed, there's some bad weather aimed our way next this coming Wednesday, nowhere near as bad as uh, the hurricane that caused the destruction last week, but anything on top of what we already had, and including cold weather, is, is never a good news for uh, people who are already struggling. 
Well, yeah, I imagine it's going to make any efforts to clean things up um, uh, much harder. And also, uh, that, th- people are homeless now, I suppose. Yeah, people have been moving to shelters. The uh, Red Cross have uh, done some excellent work, but uh, there's just a huge number of people who are without their homes now and unable to move back anytime soon. So uh, the real issue now that's come up is where are all these people going to be moved to in the meantime because shelters are a, a temporary resolution, but people in the long run really need places to live. So it's an ongoing problem and something that simply won't go away for the next few months. The, 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 it was up and down whether the uh, New York Marathon was going to happen. It was cancelled quite last minute. The people are very upset by that. Was it the right decision? Upset, indeed. It, it was the correct decision, but it just came out a little bit too late. It came Friday afternoon when um, I think already 40,000 of the 47,000 or so runners had already checked in, and uh, it's a huge expense to them. I think no one doubted that it would have been inappropriate to run through some of those neighbourhoods, Staten mm. Island and Queen, which have really been uh, destroyed by this number of resources, including generators, water and food, which were earmarked for the, the marathon um, people felt shouldn't have been used to that when there are people uh, in need at this particular time. There were some, some heartwarming stories yesterday I saw where uh, some of the runners who were due to run decided to pick up some of those uh, resources such as food and water and deliver them to neighbourhoods such as Staten Island. But uh, there's no doubt that a lot of people had come to New York ready to run the race and were disappointed that it was called off at that late moment. Uh, power and fuel. Uh, how is New Jersey managing? We, um, we're hearing shortages uh, that are uh, happening over there. Yeah, I've spoken to some people in the uh, petroleum industry in New Jersey. They said that there isn't a shortage of fuel. That it is there available. The issue is transporting it uh, over, the, over to the gas station. There is, there is therefore, at the station, the shortage of fuel. Uh, some of the queues we were seeing lining up on what we call the highway, obviously a motorway in the U.K., um, two or so miles back on Friday or Thursday of last week. Um, the Governor Christie there, who I think you might have heard about over the past week, has installed this executive order, which means that um, people can only fuel up now depending on their registration number on their car. So even number fills up on one day, odd number on the other day to try and cope with that issue. But again, it's an ongoing problem, and uh, people will continue to see a shortage of fuel, not only for their cars, but also to fuel their generators in their homes for the foreseeable future i like governor christie isn't he the guy that that said just before the storm was happening said if you don't move out of town you're an idiot you know governor christie uh he has that likable factor he's extremely popular and you know i've been following him now for a year before the storm and uh, he's acting in the same way as he, he is now and uh, he really is a big figure in the republican party and i know you mentioned the uh the election coming up now i i personally feel that he has made a big difference in this election he um he warned people to move out of their homes, uh, which most people did. He then um, was in um, contact with President Obama and President Kane to, to New Jersey and Governor Christie, who is a key figure, very popular in the Republican Party, praised President for his leadership. And uh, many saying that uh, it is for his own possibly political gains in the future that he might be interested in a presidential run in 2016. I don't believe that. Um, I think he's doing the best for his state, but it certainly will have favoured the president that a Republican leader such as Governor uh, Christie is praising Obama and mm. The polls were starting to see now showing Obama opening up a little bit of a lead. Uh, 48% to 45% was the, the most recent one I saw, and so it could certainly work in the favour of the president as the election comes in on Tuesday. William, final question, little thing I just thought of. What, what do you miss most about Hertfordshire? Oh, uh, my uh, home football club, St Albans City Football Club. I miss St Albans a lot. It's a, a fantastic city. I certainly don't miss that train, uh, train fare into London, yeah. uh, but... Uh, 
Hertfordshire certainly has its chance and appeals and aim to be back shortly. William, we will send over a box of uh, a Marmite as soon as we can. Don't worry, in proper tea bags. Uh, that's um, William Jones, a former Hertfordshire resident. He's now a news producer for NJTV in New Jersey. The last hour of the show. I do want your calls about etiquette and giving up your seats and the buses and trains. Do you do it? People don't do it anymore. And I don't think there is... I don't think it is appropriate to give it to, to younger people and people of your age, because we're all supposed to be equal, aren't we? Good morning. This is Ian Lee. You're listening to BBC Three Counties Radio. It's just gone eight. It's Monday the 5th of November. Coming up in the last hour of the show... Concerns over standards of care at Milton Keynes Hospital. How would you feel if someone gave up their seat on the bus or train for you? Pleased or embarrassed? It happened to me a little while ago. Some youngsters... All right, mister, do you want this seat? Now, my initial reaction was, oh my God, I'm not that old, am I? But my reaction that I um, vocalised was, yes, thanks very much. And your children or grandchildren should be made to stay in school at lunchtime to stop them buying unhealthy snacks and takeaways. What do you think about that? I was surprised to find out that in some schools, kids are allowed out at lunchtime. Didn't happen in my day. The sixth form, it was kind of a, a bribe to get you to stay on the sixth form. Yeah, you can go out and smoke fags and stuff like that, but I remember going and buying beer at lunchtime in pubs in my school uniform. <laughs> That's I did. That's mental. It's in the sixth form, but I was still 17, 16, 17. That's mental. Anyway, do you think your kids and your grandkids should be made to stay in school at lunchtime? You can get in touch lots of different ways. Email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text me, 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or, more importantly, you can give us a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. A family whose boy died at Milton Keynes Hospital because of staff failings want more done to prevent even more babies from dying there. Calvin Prentice Orcock was born 27 weeks premature and had been in and out of hospital before he died in November 2010. Staff didn't, uh, sorry, staff didn't diagnose his condition and he suffered a heart attack. The watchdog, the Care Quality Commission, said the Trust needed more trained paediatric nurses and a dedicated high-dependency unit. Well, Andrew Cantor is from the charity Bereavement Care. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. How does the charity help parents? Well, it's very interesting. The um, charity is really set up. It's actually the National Maternity Support Foundation to... uh, uh, we look at all the aspects of maternity care um, where I'm looking at the safety of, of units, but uh, I, I, in the last sort of couple of years, we've really focused on the sort of aftercare in terms of bereavement, um, bereaved parents, and particularly focusing on, on fathers, because uh, in, in many cases, the father is, um, you know, not really supported in, in, in that sort of terrible uh, period after the tragedy. So... Uh, that's sort of the focus of the work that we're doing at the moment. And how do you actually do it? I've got two boys, three and one, and, uh, you know, if my, when my mum goes, I'll be, of course I'll be devastated, but you kind of expect it. I can't even begin to imagine how I would feel if anything happened to, to my boys. How can, you, how can you help in those situations, Andrew? Well, I guess really being a bereaved parent myself, it, it's kind of, you know, you know what... Uh, 
unfortunately parents are, are are going through and suffering and i think it's really about empathizing and understanding and really giving you know in many cases giving practical advice because you know the the, the situation after a, a, a tragedy like losing a, a child and a, and a baby is that you're in a severe shock and you you're really not in a position to 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 get on with with normal life if you like so it's really giving um parents that sort of urgent need and support to get them through the first sort of few weeks and months really and you know we, the grieving process can can go on for for a long time so we're, we're always there really to help throughout that process what do you feel can be done at milton Keynes hospital to improve the situation there well i think like with with most cases uh, it is really down to um you know proper training and uh, understanding of uh, of the situation really so it's about investing in in um in training and um and you know looking at the needs of parents and having the right pathways in place uh you know and, and rather than uh looking back it's about making sure we can look forward and make sure that uh, the right levels of staffing are in place really have you helped many parents who've suffered from a loss due to failings at milton Keynes hospital we've had um yeah we've had parents who've, who've unfortunately had uh, situations at, at, at that hospital um and I think you know we know now there are there are processes in place to to stop these these happening and uh you know unfortunately um you know this is this has been a sad situation mm. very local to us so but we're doing what we can to help and if a people if something happens at a hospital and someone loses a child, are they instantly referred to you or do they need to come and find you um, well, I mean, it, it varies, really. I mean, normally, because um, we work very closely with the, the trust, they hopefully they would pass on our details, uh, but people can find us um, through the, the normal channel, so they can go on the web and look at, uh, just uh, look at jakescharity.org or the National Maternity Support Foundation, one of the two, and they can find us. Andrew, listen, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's very sad, but it, I guess it makes the world a better place that there are people like you uh, who are helping. That's Andrew Cantor there, and um, thanks very much. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Um, Martin Wetherill, the me- medical director at Milton Keynes Hospital, says paediatric care has improved thanks to new le- leadership and much better processes. The board has invested £750,000 in children's services, which has contributed to four dedicated high-dependency beds with all, uh, all with monitoring equipment, ten new nurses and a separate paediatric A&E department. He goes on to say they are committed to providing quality uh, care to all patients. And you can hear uh, more from uh, the mum of Calvin, uh, Hannah, who will be speaking to Look East this lunchtime on BBC One from 1.30. Now, we've been talking about giving up your seats. There's an interesting article in the, uh, the Mail. The, the Mail, I cannot believe I'm saying this, is fast becoming my favourite newspaper. I know! It goes against everything I'm, I've been brought up to believe. Well, not brought up to believe. My mum used to read the Mail. Uh, but there's a great story from uh, An- Antonia Hoyle, who, eight months pregnant, was um, disturbed and upset to find that women weren't giving him, uh, weren't giving her uh, uh, seats, weren't standing up saying, do you want to sit down? And it, it's kind of got us asking, would you give up your seat? Do you? It's mainly men that do it. We've had a few women texting in who say they do it, but it's mainly men. But then, it, it's kind of, the conversation's kind of evolved. Do you feel embarrassed? If someone's offered you a seat, how does that make you feel? Do you feel awkward? Do you feel uh, I- I- embarrassed at all? Does it make you feel a bit uncomfortable? Brian's in High Wycombe. Good morning, Brian. 
morning. Do people give up their seat for you? It's very awkward. I <laughs> at the age where I haven't given up, I haven't stopped giving up my uh, seat to others. And uh, I was on the underground, and a middle-aged lady gave up over to me, and I thought, my goodness. Uh, um. I, I must look old, and uh, I've got curvature of the spine, which I suppose doesn't help. But um, I, I refused it, and then I did go back and said, I do appreciate it. I said that, uh, and so I stood for a bit longer, then took the first seat that came available. But, I, uh, Brian, I have, to ask, I have to ask this question, sir. May I ask how old are you? Uh, 78. Oh, hang on a minute, that is quite old, Brian. Oh, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I've, just, I've got a busy day ahead of me. <laughs> what, what are you up to today? Well, I'm, I'm teaching at a school uh, about uh, 15 miles away, and oh, uh, I've got to go up there, and uh, I must have met at this time of year when it's getting dark evenings now again, yeah. and it might be wet and the dazzle of headlights. I don't find it's quite so no, comfortable. Listen. I can't find anybody to take over. This is the problem. Brian, listen, so I was saying some kids offered me, uh, some kids, they're like 15, offered me a seat the other day. I'm 39. I took <laughs> it I took it gratefully. I went, oh, yeah, I'll have that. Thank you. It's one of the perks as we get older, Brian. Being offered seats. Yeah. Don't take it as, as an insult or a snub. Surely it's one of the, the, the perks of, of, of being slightly older. Yeah, I think you've made me feel better now. Thank you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's an absolute pleasure, man. If, 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 if I've done nothing, I've done that. Thank you very much indeed. Brian in High Wycombe. Felt a bit embarrassed that someone offered him a seat. Don't be. If someone offers you a seat, OK, it, 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 for whatever reason, it, it's one of the perks. Isn't it? I tell you the thing that annoys me. Here we go. On a train or, or a bus or a tube or whatever, is when there are kids, like the kids with their mum, and they're sitting on a seat. So if there's like a kid who's sort of three or four, okay, and they're sitting on a seat, and their mum's sat there, and no other seats, and there are people standing. I kind of think, you know what? That four-year-old, the three-year-old could sit on mum's lap. The four-year-old could sit on mum's lap. Five, six, seven, make them stand up. Make them stand up. Seriously, five, six, seven, stand up. Get up. Bit of respect. Seriously, two, three, four, they shouldn't have a seat. They can sit on mum or dad's lap. Okay, so if you see someone standing there, if you see me standing there, mums, dads, pick up the kid, put it on your lap. Five, six, seven, eight, stand. They can stand up. It's obvious, isn't it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Oh, Jonathan's on at nine o'clock. I knew he'd be talking about this. I follow him on Twitter. He was furious at the weekend. It is worth following him on Twitter. It's worth joining Twitter and following him uh, because you get pictures of his cat and you get him ranting like some old mum. Oh, it was like having my nan tweeting away last last night. So miserable. So miserable. His question this morning on the big phone in at nine o'clock. And you can tell that he came in and, and said, I've got a question. It's written in his language. Are you an idiot if you let fireworks off in your back garden? He was furious last night with the bangs. He th- I think he believes they should be... He'll come in in a few minutes and tell us. I, I won't put words into his mouth, but he was very, very angry. I don't mind the bangs. My little boy doesn't like it. He's nearly three. He hates it. Uh, and I was in bed with him last night, reading him The Snail and the Whale. Um, and uh, I, all I did was put my hands over his ears and he fell asleep. We had a conversation. I, I'll, I'll handle this delicately because we have young ears listening. I had a, we, we had a very important conversation with my boy yesterday where he finally kind of voiced concerns about why some people have um, winkies and some don't. And we kind of had to say, so, so men and, and, and boys, and big boys and little boys, they have this and women don't. 
But Mummy's got one. No, Mummy. Mummy doesn't have one. Has Yaya got one? No, Yaya doesn't have one. Has Grandpa Peter? Yes, Grandpa Peter has got one. So we went, we kind of listed who has got one and who hasn't got one. Boy, that was a fun conversation. Man, you can't say something like that to me, Jonathan, just before we go on air. Uh, utter your last statement to the listener. You asked me, do you have a nice weekend? I yes. said, yeah, I had a very nice weekend. Borrowed a dog on Saturday. Uh, wh- wh- who, who borrows a dog? Where I did you bo- borrow a dog I from? I borrowed a dog and I went off... Uh, there's, a, there's a new forest in uh, St Albans okay. called Hartwood Forest. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's lovely. Uh, it's been created by the Woodland Trust. Yeah. And I've often thought, I'd like to go up there and have a little uh, look around. Have a tramp around like. with a dog. So I thought, well, I can't go up there on my own. People think I'm a weirdo. So I borrowed a dog. <laughs> you can walk through the woods on your own without being a weirdo. As long really? As you, as long can you, you, though? As a man? As long as your belt's done up, yes, you can. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> but but I think you're weirder for... Where did you borrow a dog from? Is there, like, a shop in St Albans yeah, or something? my friends, my friends. They, uh, they lent me their Labrador. Darcy. So we went off for a walk. Why is that funny? Have you never borrowed a dog for I've a walk? I've never borrowed a dog for a walk. You should. Well, I'm tempted to now. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Really fun. We went off for a couple of hours. Yeah. Came back all muddy. Yeah. And did you did, did you then just give the dog back muddy? Was it a muddy <laughs> yes. yes. There you go. Have her back. Now, listen, come on. Th- right. th- this the big question today. Why are you uh, why not, are you pulling that face? I'm not happy with you. Down your nose at me. Why? I, I might start unfollowing you on Twitter. No, hang on. I might stop following you. I might start unfollowing or stop following. Either either way, what, you're, you're going to lose. Because I ask a question that you take uh, exception you to. You were so miserable over the weekend. Why? Oh, you, you, it was like an old. It was like following at an old mum. Oh, these bangs. Oh, these blooming idiots with their bangs no, and their fireworks. I, I wish they'd stop. Look, get look, over I it. I just think. Uh, I just think fireworks for me. Fireworks are are really boring. Every year, last oh, year, God. some friends said, "Oh, come to a proper display. Yeah. Come to a proper display because they're really good fun." Yeah. So you stand there in the cold. And, to be honest, after the first couple of minutes, you've seen them all anyway, you know, oh. bang, bang, and it, ooh, different colour, bang, and that's it. And, I, and they go oh, on God. and on and on, and I think, oh, God, I just want to be at home. I have gone this right off you. Really? Yeah, I liked you last week, and now it's back to how it's been for most of the time I've known you. Well, from nine this morning on the big phone, are you an idiot if you let fireworks <laughs> off in your back garden? Oh, that's such a loaded question. Why, why is that a loaded question? Are you an idiot if you, oh, God. So do you think it's, uh, do you let fireworks off in your backyard? I've never lit a firework in my life. Good. I'm gonna, Very sensible. I'm going to buy some today. No, d- no. And I'm going to light them in my back garden shall to spite I, you. Shall I tell you a little story? Please do. In Argentina, they, uh, they have a totally irresponsible attitude to fireworks. Right. They give children fireworks and they let them, they chuck okay. them in the street. Yes. Crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. And, uh, on New Year's Eve, they let fireworks off. It's their big thing. Yeah. So last year, I was in Argentina, New Year's Eve, and all the families, they all came out their houses and they put a big car box in the middle of the roundabout at the end of the road oh. and every family all the dads they went over with their box of fireworks they'd bought yeah. and they stuck them in sand in this in this cardboard box yeah. and the whole street is sitting there yeah. watching these fireworks yeah. the men are all doing the manly thing letting them off yeah. all of a sudden this cardboard box tips over wow the fireworks were coming towards us. I was wow. crouching behind a car. It was like being in Baghdad. They were going off everywhere. Somebody had left their grandmother, who couldn't walk, sitting in a chair. <laughs> They're flying past her head, nearly set her hair on fire. Yes. It was terrifying. I don't think it was like being in Baghdad, it though, It was terrifying. Right. Absolutely terrifying. Right. How no one was hurt. They all thought it was hilarious. So no one was hurt. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. So the question should be... Uh, what's your question now? Read your question now. Are you an idiot if you let fireworks off in your back garden? Right, change it. Are you an Argentinian if you let fireworks <laughs> off in your back garden? That's what the question should be. 
You're such a killjoy. No, no. People are going to agree with me from nine. They won't. No one will agree with you. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Are you an idiot if you oh. let fireworks off in your back garden? It's such a load. Uh, if you're just going to come in with your your <laughs> nonsense propaganda, I'm not going to let you come and do this bit anymore. <laughs> you're looking genuinely stroppy. I'm really angry with that your you're face. S- you're so miserable, and that you've you've. It's just a loaded question. I don't think we're allowed to do that on the BBC. Are you an idiot? Oh, don't say it again. <laughs> Get it out! Seriously, get out. Get out. Seriously. Are you ch- chucking me out? Your microphone's off. A big bard? Yep. <laughs> you got. You can have one more chance tomorrow. I want a better question tomorrow. Are you an idiot? Oh, for goodness sakes. It's just... What? It's just such a loaded question. It was like Baghdad. He was at a fireworks display. It was like being in Baghdad. Unbelievable. Ridiculous behaviour. If you want to speak to Jonathan and tell him just how wrong he is, 08459 That's the number. Call him about nine o'clock. You can email him now if you want to. Um, you can send him an email, 3cr at bbc.co.uk, and just put in the subject heading, miserable so-and-so. Now, when was the last time you gave up your seat on a bus or a train? Journalist Antonia Hoyle, who's eight months pregnant, says she's horrified that other women aren't giving up their seat for her. BBC Three Counties reporter Sophie Solaria has been in Toddington this morning to find out just how courteous you lot are. Every time, well, uh, elderly or a lady who's pregnant or something like that, every time. Not necessarily that. I mean, a young woman with children or something needs a seat, can look after the kids or something. You're quite chivalrous then, Sarah, as a, as a man. Well, Where did she you learn know, that? You well, my dad, it's uh, respect of other people. And- that's it, yeah. That's the way the world should be. That's my son. He's going to give the same And answer. this is your son. You, sir, what do you think? Yeah, well, pretty much the same thing. I generally, every time I get on a train or whatever, I generally stand anyway, normally. But, uh, like, same thing, like, on a bus or a train. Like, yeah, you can generally tell just by looking at someone, like, a, like a lady or, like, if they are pregnant or elderly. I, I just, I'll give out my seat nine times out of ten anyway. I'm just asking when you would give your seat up for a lady... Always. So they don't have to be pregnant or old? Yeah, don't have to be. You give it up for any lady? Yeah. Who taught you your manners, sir? I was grow like that, but I think my mum, my dad. Would you ever? Yeah, I would. Why? What, in what circumstance? You always give your seat up for a woman, don't you? Does she have to be pregnant? No. Or old? No. What, so a lady gets onto a train and you're yeah. instantly given the seat? Oh, yeah. Who brought you up? What made you like that? Why did the way I was brought up. And what did they tell you, your parents? Treat a lady nice. Would you ever give a seat up for a lady on a train or a bus? I would do, yes, actually, yeah. I'm I'm the old type. (laughs) (laughs) Is it any lady or does she have to be pregnant or old? Basically, I think any lady, generally, provided I were fit enough. I'm riddled with rheumatoid arthritis, but I would still get up. I would still... And I'm the type that would open the door and things like that. (laughs) (laughs) Treat a lady nice. I do like that, Clever. It's made me chuckle. Uh, This has got you angry, some of you. Lisa Hunter on Twitter. I gave up my seat on the tube to what I thought was a blind man. The white stick gave it away. He sat down, got a book out and started reading it. Now, uh, and Carpet Martin, I can't read out all of your tweets. I'm 58. The other day on the bus, a young woman asked me to stand up for her eight-year-old child. And then he says something very, very rude and slightly misogynistic, which I can't read out. So very naughty. Well, Jackie High is the author of The Modern Grandparents' Guide. Good morning, Jackie. Good morning. Earlier on, we heard from Brian in High Wycombe. He's 78 years old, and he feels embarrassed if someone (coughs) offers him a seat. 
Uh-huh. He shouldn't, should he? No, no, just accept it. Good manners are always worth appreciating, aren't they? It doesn't matter. I'm on a train now, <laughs> and I'm standing up, actually. Has anyone offered you a seat? Not yet, but maybe if I glare at them eventually. <laughs> Jackie, can I ask, I think, how, yeah. how old are you? 65. Right, ask someone for a seat now. Find a young man in his 20s <laughs> or 30s and ask him for a seat. But there are some spare seats. There are oh, some spare seats. Oh, in that case, you're being a martyr. <laughs> no, just no, ask, no, <laughs> ask someone to move anyway. Find, find a young man and say, excuse me, young man, I'm 65, would you move for me? See what happens. Go on. Oh, go on then, all right. Go on. Here we go. It's, it's, they're all on their iPhones. Jackie, get him off the iPhone. <laughs> tap him on the shoulder. Say, excuse me, young man, I'm 65, would you mind giving me your seat? All right, hold on a minute. Thank you. Right, let's see if we can find one. Here we go. <laughs> no. Excuse me. Oh. Can I have your... Do you mind if I have your seat? He's just glaring at me. Just, just gave you dirty looks? Yeah. Oh, Jackie, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry we put you through that humiliation. Jackie, we're, we're losing your... I believe the train may be going through a tunnel or something. We've lost you, I think. We'll see if we can get you back. But it was worth it just for that. Just to send a random lady <laughs> off on a mission. Uh, Jackie Hyde, the author of The Modern grandpa- Grandparents Guy. We'll see if we can get her back before the end of the show. But uh, always the problem when you're using trains, uh, phones on trains, which is good. I, I once used a bu- uh, I-, I don't really like using uh, phones on public transport. I did it once on a bus. And <laughs> the guy, two seats in front of me, turned around, stared at me, very slowly raised up his closed fist, and then just very slowly very slowly raised the middle finger up at me and then put it back down put the hand down and turned away that was creepy yeah <laughs> like that jonathan thank you yes and i said i said on the phone i've got to go now steve the man two rows in front of me is is well i said something very very rude very rude indeed uh thank you jackie we we we, we got the gist <laughs> that people don't take won't give you a seat oh eight four five nine four double five five double five if you are elderly and like by elderly, I mean over 50. Would you be offended if someone offered you a seat? I was a little bit when it, when it happened to me, but then I kind of thought, oh, you know what? One of the perks, one of the perks of surviving so long. Would you be offended or upset? Or are you one of these people that kind of, that, that gives the glower, the glare, if you don't get offered a seat, oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Time quick time to do the rest of the newspapers. We didn't do them all earlier. Daily Express: Britain hit by ice floods and snow. It's set to be the coldest bonfire night in thirteen years. Oh, don't we're having trouble with our heating? And then there's a picture of Prince Charles and Camilla. When did Prince Charles get really, really old? He looks ancient on the front page of this. Ancient. Uh, the Daily Mail. The fast-track dementia test. PM to announce creation of new NHS high-tech brain clinics. Wow. That will help cut diagnosis time from 18 months to just three. And The Sun. Savile victim aged eight. And then there's a picture of Kim Kardashian. Now, I don't really know anything. I don't know who Kim Kardashian is, apart from the fact she's got a big bottom and has got her own TV show. That's it. That's all I know. That's all I know. And then page three. Page three is, is fascinating from a historical point of view because it's um, a photographer. The, the page three photographer has passed away. And it's got um, boobs through the years. And didn't, didn't they look different in the 70s and 80s? They looked different. They were very different in their design. I won't go into any more detail. Young ears, of course. I'm on Twitter, okay? Why don't we have this in the UK? Neil Diamond has just tweeted. Neil Diamond, the, the, the singer-songwriter. 
I'm working the phones for Obama. If I call you, don't hang up. It's really me. How cool would that be to get a phone call from Neil Diamond? Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up, a BBC investigation has exposed a Buckinghamshire conman who's been tricking people into thinking he's a reality TV producer. In the next half an hour, we'll find out just what he did. Uh, and we're still taking your calls, 08459 455 555. Would you give up your seat on a bus or a train? And if you've had it offered to you, do you feel a bit embarrassed by it, a little bit uncomfortable? Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Now there are just twenty four hours to go before America goes to the polls for the presidential elections. Not that long ago, Barack Obama looked almost certain to be returned to the White House for the Democrats, but his Republican rival Mitt Romney has closed the gap in the last month, and now the race looks too close to call. Our political correspondent Paul Rowley is in the U.S. capital, Washington. <laughs> Let's go stateside with our political correspondent, Paul Rowley. Paul, when the hell did you get your own theme tune? Uh, we do, it's one of those things, Ian, you know, when you get reach a certain status, uh, this is afforded to one. You've been, <laughs> you've been in the States far too long if you think that's acceptable behaviour on BBC Three Counties Radio, sir. Absolutely, and I can also tell you it's 33 minutes past three in the morning, uh, so you should be pleased you've got yeah, me Yeah, good this for time. you in that case, thank you very much. Who's going to be the next President of the United States of America? Don't ask me. I'm a, oh. I'm a foreigner in these parts. Oh, uh, okay. All the opinion polls suggest it's on a knife edge. I mean, politically, this has always been a polarised, divided country. Up to a month ago, I would have said it was a shoo-in for Barack Obama, even though some of the charisma has faded since he was elected four years ago on that extraordinary wave of emotion with all the hope and optimism we saw when he became America's first black president. But against many expectations, Ian, the contest has been transformed by, by a programme on the telly and uh, Mitt Romney's performance in that first presidential Mm. debate was a game changer it turned him from being this rather stuffy wooden character into a serious contender for the white house and momentum was so strong in some polls he's actually in front which makes his contest impossible to call what's going to decide this election then if it's that close what's going to be the thing that kind of finishes it as bill clinton used to say it's the economy stupid the handling of the economic crisis uh, will largely i think be the determining factor barack obama has presided over the worst set of economic circumstances since the 1930s although he could argue it didn't start on his watch it was when uh, george bush was president it is an international problem we've been struggling the economy has been sluggish in the uk same over here although there are signs of improvement in the us in recent times the unemployment figures for example have fallen in the last week and that's why Mitt Romney as a successful businessman as a venture capitalist uh, believes he's got the experience to turn it round but Barack Obama can point to a number of successes in his time in the White House the killing of Osama bin Laden for one 18 months ago the effective ending of the war in Iraq uh, the movement towards closure in Afghanistan plus of course in the last week when Hurricane Sandy swept across the country it allowed him to appear presidential well it is in the job description Mm. uh, but 
it meant that uh, his Republican rival was a was a bit player for the best part of three days last week in the run-up to this election. At the same time, I think it is still too close to call. 24 hours to go. America is such a strange and, and bonkers place. I was just saying on Twitter, Neil Diamond, the singer, has tweeted that he's making phone calls on behalf of Barack Obama. If he calls you up, don't hang up. It's, it's such an amazing place, America. I love it, but it's bonkers. What, what can we expect in the last 24 hours? A lot of... Uh, uh, of campaigning in the swing states, as they call them, the toss-up states, places like Ohio. Your pardon? Fra- yeah, the, the, a load of tossers in America. Steady. Uh, but uh, yes, <laughs> the, yes, they're, they're all very close. You know, it's it's heads or tails. Uh, frankly, who wins in Ohio is going to win this election. That's why both candidates are here today, and they've got their celebrity endorsements as well. Barack Obama was joined at one rally last night in Cincinnati by Stevie Wonder. Tonight, he's got the boss, not Bill Clinton, although he has been on the campaign. Trail, but Bruce Springsteen. For Mitt Romney, he's joined by the the Marshall Tucker Band, a country and western group from oh. the 1970s. Yes, I'm aware not of the them. same league, I would argue. No, not quite. And of course, it was it was Romney, wasn't it, who had Clint Eastwood doing that embarrassing um, speech to an empty chair, didn't he? <laughs> it did, yeah. So we've got we got Clint, and he's got the Terminator on side with uh, uh, with uh, 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 Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I, I knew the got... name. I was just letting you 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 wallow there a little bit. I for- forgot forgot <laughs> forgot it momentarily. And also, he's got somebody in these swing states. He's got a swinger with him today. He's got Jack Nicklaus, the golfer, the man who's had more clubs than Tommy Doherty. Paul, I, su- I suggest that um, you, you, maybe you've been up too long. You should go and have a good lie down, please. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. I wait four five nine four double five five double five is the number if you want to give us a call. It's also the number if you want to call Jonathan at nine o'clock. I'm not going to tell you what his big question is today. You'll have to listen for yourself. I'm, I'm, he's, he's properly annoyed me today with with his attitude, uh, and I, I just think he's a little bit arrogant in his question. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You'll have to listen to him at nine o'clock. He can tell you himself if you choose to listen or not. That's up to you. Now, your grandchildren or your children should be made to stay in school at lunchtime to stop them buying unhealthy snacks and takeaways. That's according to the Local Authority Caterers Association. They surveyed more than 12,000 parents. Well, uh, BBC Three Counties reporter Sophie Solaria uh, is in Milton Keynes this morning. Good morning, Sophie. Good morning. What more can you tell us about this? What more can I tell you? Well, it also found this very research from the Local Authority Caterers Association that many parents believe that tough, healthy food standards should be implied in schools, including academies. How they can manage this, though... I just don't know. What do you think, Ian? What do you do with your children? I don't feed them. Don't feed them at all. Don't feed them. No, listen, it's easy and it's cheap to feed kids healthily. That's the thing. I know that these schools are working to tight budgets and things like that, but it's easy to to get them uh, healthy food. Of course it is. Well, the findings show that three in four parents, that's 73.4%, that's quite high, isn't it, are in favour of secondary school uh, students up to the age of 16, be it keeping the kids on their premises. Sophie, I didn't know, listen, you're a lot younger than me. When you were at school, were, were the kids allowed to leave, all right, were the kids <laughs> allowed to leave at lunchtime? We it, were, yeah, from, well, from the age, from, I think it was from the age of 16 we right. were allowed to leave, and there was a snack shop just directly across yeah. from the school which sold the most unhealthy food, sausage rolls, and like pastries Aye. and pancakes. And, you know, you could just go out there, eat to your heart's content, come back and then get some chips 
from the canteen as well. So, you know, once you're out of sight of those parents, how do you regulate this? And that's what parents want to know. They want their kids to be on premises of the school so they could be watched like hawks. What do you... I mean, that's just... I find that I was I was surprised that, that kids that, oh, no no of course it's not big brother it's something really? so stupid oh, Sophie. of course the kids should be made to stay in the school it's to obvious what age to what age until the sixth form goodness which me. what's that I think yeah. that's 16 17 that, younger than that they shouldn't be allowed out sniffing glue and, and drinking hooch and, and rubbing old ladies that's what they get up to isn't it I read it in the paper it must be true or is it down to the parents and that is the question I've been speaking to some parents this morning in Milton Keynes and I asked them you know how would you regulate your children what would you do and the mums I spoke to seemed almost insulted that their children would ever, ever even dream to buy chips and pastries at school they were they were they were just appalled by the idea they said in no uncertain terms in fact that they've brought their children up much better than that thank you very much have a listen actually what we used to do is we are trying to stick on with the healthy food and not uh, having any unhealthy junk food saying like this will make our tummy mess and it makes everything so if you want you can go for it i give her freedom to like choose whatever she wants but i say i strictly depends on the healthy food because that is good for my health so Children's always copycats. So what mum do? My daughter always copycat my choice. So you teach her and she wants to do what you do? The best thing to teach to a child is if we live what what the children want, they will automatically live what we expect. Well, I hope that I brought her up in the right way and that, you know, generally she likes her fruit and she eats her veg and I hope that she continues to do so. Obviously, I do give my children sweets, but I hope that they do that in moderation and obviously not gorge themselves on those making them feel sick. So you teach her? I, I hope that that's the way it will eventually turn out, yes. I've only, yeah, one son, but um, I used to do his packing up, obviously, but I'd give him healthy things i'd cut up carrots and apples and things like that and put it in his lunchbox what about at home sweets were limited to weekends only so um so what about when he got the freedom to go and buy his own food at lunchtime how did you stop him from buying reaching for the popcorn and the and the 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 juices he didn't really do that when he was younger it wasn't until he was older that he started eating the junk food, really. You know, the pizzas and things like that when he was in his early 20s. So it's too late no. by then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He'd yeah. grown up. It, yeah, that's right. But kids, Sophie, kids are always going to, you know, you give them a few quid and they're always going to go and buy, you know, sweeties and things, aren't they? That's well, what they this do. That's it, exactly. And as that lady said, you know, she tried to regulate it until the age of 20 and then he just went crazy because he didn't have the freedom when he could have it. See? I think that you need to let kids be kids. Sophie, could you do me a favour? Whereabouts are you? Milton Keynes. Could you get me a latte and uh, an egg roll? Oh, yeah, of course. Nice one. There we go. Let's see. <laughs> if you don't ask, you don't get. And it's just dawned on me I'm a little bit peckish. And all this talk about sausage rolls and pasties and things. Oh, nice, a nice fried egg roll. That would suit me right down to the ground. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number. You can text as well. We've got a few texts here. Uh, Cynthia has texted 81333, starting the text 3CR. There is a 725 bus that is full of school children. They take up the majority of seats with bags as well. I have stopped getting this bus. Well, yeah, hang on. Whoa, Cynthia. Kids have to get the bus to school. You can't be upset at that. Yeah, if they've got bags on the seat, then you tell them to move the bags, put the bags on their lap or on the floor. But they have to get the bus. Phil has uh, texted, when I was a child, you offered your seat to people older than you because they were likely to have fought or endured in the war. 
I am, is that the reason? I am trying to teach my children that respect has to be earned and not expected. So, given that I've worked all my life, including serving in the Royal Air Force, do I have to give up my seat to someone who may deserve less respect than me simply because they were born before me? Phil, I, it's an interesting point. Do we respect people just because they are older? I'm not totally sure. Uh, 15 minutes if you want to get in touch Right, so Jonathan Vernon-Smith is on at 9 o'clock I'm not going to tell you what his question is I think it's arrogant uh, And it's loaded and it's unfair You're setting right But I will tell you that I've just seen him <laughs> I'm glad he's suffering He's got his thick coat on He's got a jumper on He's got a scarf on And he's just put a heater into the studio as well He's going to be freezing He's in a really grumpy mood today Go and take a picture, please. Let's go. Kelly, go and get a picture of that. We'll tweet that. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Oh, I do know what that means. How rude. Now, if you want to hear a very grumpy man, I would say stay tuned till nine o'clock. It's the industry that defies the recession. Gambling. Profits last year were £5.6 billion. And gambling is now enjoyed by around three quarters of the population in Britain, more than ever before. Recently, in Milton Keynes, planning was given for a super casino. Tonight, BBC's Panorama will investigate how gambling's place in society has changed since the Gambling Act came into effect five years ago. Dr Mark Griffiths is Professor of Gambling Studies at Nottingham Trent University and took part in tonight's programme. Uh, good morning, Doctor. Yeah, hi, Ian. Uh, d- 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 professor of Gambling Studies. What does that mean exactly? Does that mean you know how to beat the system? Um, I think the the way to beat the system is to, to actually own or uh, run a gambling business yourself. I think that's the only way you make uh, money in the long run. But, they are, they uh, are the only winners, aren't they? The casinos and things like that. And yet people, you uh, you know, I've heard friends who said, oh, no, 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 no I'm, I'm in profit. D- do people ever really get in profit if they're, if they're long-term gamblers? Uh, there are some games that you actually do have the, the house advantage. I mean, games like Blackjack, if you know what you're doing and you can car count, you can win in the long run. There are certainly some poker players out there that um, really know how to, to beat the rest. But in the, uh, in the main, you know, if it's slot machines, it's bingo, it's lottery, most forms of gambling you will lose in the long run. The thing that has surprised me, I'm guessing this is part of the Gambling Act, I don't know, is that over the last two or three years, um, there have been so many adverts on TV for these online bingos. If you watch uh, Jeremy Carr, which I would never watch, of course, but they have always have adverts for online bingo, and all of these, it, there seems to be loads of different ones. It, I'd imagine that, that people wouldn't think that's a problem, but it can be, can't it? It can. I mean, I think your point is uh, a very valid one. Since the, the new Gambling Act came into force on September the 1st, 2007, the biggest change people will have noticed, of course, is the massive amount of gambling advertising we see on television now. And it's not just in the middle of Jeremy Kyle. I mean, every sporting event now, mm. you will see the, the in-play betting. Any football match, you know, throughout the Olympics, you know, you saw betting opportunities everywhere. And I think one of the, the consequences of that, when we, we carried out what's called the British Gambling Prevalence Survey last year, what we saw was a significant increase in problem gambling uh, amongst adults in this country. It went from 0.6% to just under 1%. There was a 50% increase in problem gambling. And I'd say the biggest change that happened since the last survey was the massive amount of advertising you see on television. And gambling's an odd thing, isn't it? People will say, well, you know, listen, I'm fine with it. And, and it, it is like drink, and it is like drugs, in that some people can take drink or drugs, and they can take them on a whim, and they can leave them and put them to one side. But there are some people who can't stop drinking, they can't stop drugging, and they can't stop gambling. At what point do they kind of cross that line into addiction? 
Well, for me, I mean, I, I do actually have a you know a little flutter myself, even though I'm a professor in gambling studies, I'm not anti-gambling in the slightest, but you are right. In terms of uh, consumptive activities like alcohol and gambling, these are both activities that, when taken to excess, can become problematic and addictive in a small minority of people. And really, if people are listening out there and thinking, am I a gambling addict? Well, what I'd ask myself is, you know, is gambling the most important thing in your life? Does it compromise your relationship, your job, all your other activities? Do you use it as a way of modifying your mood? Do you get withdrawal symptoms if you you can't do it? Have you built up what we call tolerance over time, needing more and more of that activity? Mm. I mean, if you answered yes to all of those questions, my guess is there's a good chance you have a gambling problem. I guess another big question as well is, is do you lie about the amount you gamble? Because if yeah, you're lying I mean, to people about the amount, then that, that would imply that you've got a problem, wouldn't it? Yeah, uh, the thing is, is that there, I, I say this tongue-in-cheek, but there's genuinely a, a scale out there called the lie-bet scale. The first question is, have you got a problem with your gambling? And the second question, did you lie about question one? <laughs> That's genius. Uh, well done. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, and um, I mean, the thing about that, of course, is that people, in all addictions, they do deny they have a problem, and it's mm. often other people around them that know they've got a problem before the, the actual person themselves. And this is not to... I mean, you, you're right. I, I want to put this into context. Mm. Under 1% of British adults have a gambling problem, so it is a minority problem. However, for those that it affects, it not just affects them, it typically affects anything between 5 and 15 people around them. And we know, based on our last, uh, the British Gambling Prevalence Survey, around about 450,000 adult problem gamblers in this country. That's not an insignificant amount mm. of, of problem, particularly if, you, if it affects the other people around them as well. What support is there for people who have gambling problems? We mentioned Gamblers Anonymous, which I, I would assume is like AA or NA or something yeah. like that. It, it, do they help? Are there other organisations yeah, that yeah, can help? there are. I mean, Gamblers Anonymous have over 200 groups up and down the country. Most big areas will have a, a Gamblers Anonymous uh, chapter. We have a, a national organisation, which I actually co-founded back in 1997, called GamCare. They run the National Telephone Helpline. They have a face-to-face counselling service in London, but they also have lots of what we call break-even projects up and down the country. If you get, you know, if you've got a problem, you can get a referral from your GP to a clinical psychologist. There are various specialists. You can go. And see, sorry, you can go and see your GP about it, and they'll, yeah, they'll yeah. refer someone. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. I mean, it's, I, mean, it, it's, I mean, I wrote uh, an article for the British Medical Journal. In fact, I helped also then the British Medical Association write their policy uh, document on gambling back in 2007. And one of the things that I said in that is that GPs have to consider gambling in the same way they consider things like alcohol, nicotine, drugs, etc. This I say this is a consumptive activity which for a small minority can be addictive. But of course, you know, most GPs don't know about gambling. What they can do is refer people who have a gambling problem to uh, a clinical psychologist. And of course, gambling doesn't happen in isolation. We often find that if you're a problem gambler, you might have uh, problems with your drinking, maybe other drug activities as well. So it's not necessarily something that occurs in isolation. Uh, but it's something that does need to be sorted out for those who have a problem. Listen, thank you very much for that, Dr Mark Griffiths, a Professor of Gambling Studies at Nottingham Trent University. And uh, if you think you've got a problem with gambling, or you think someone has, you do check out those uh, organisations that he mentioned, because um, it, it can be helpful, can't it, in those situations to talk to someone. Now, this is fascinating. A BBC investigation has exposed a Buckinghamshire con man who's been tricking people into thinking he's a reality TV producer. The Inside Out programme to be screened tonight on BBC One looks into how he tricked his victims out of thousands of pounds. Here to tell us more is the presenter of Inside Out, David Whiteley. Good morning, David. Good morning, Ian. Hi. I've read a little bit about this story. It's fascinating. Who is this man? Well, good question. Who indeed? Um, Well, he's Selva Carmichael. 
also known as Silvo Michael. Uh, he posed as a reality TV producer who got involved with two contestants from Big Brother, right? Mario Marconi and Lisa Appleton. Oh, I've met them, yes. You've met them, have you? I know them, yes, you know yes, them? yes. Right. Uh, well, this has left them pretty devastated, actually. They were all over the tabloids for appearing on the ninth series of Big Brother. But as the spotlight kind of fell off them, as these things do at, at, from time to time, the couple were kind of left looking for a new project. And that's when self-styled media mogul Silver Michael walked into their lives. Um, he likes to be known as the Silver Fox. Mm. Um, wouldn't we all? Uh, they thought they'd met a real mover and shaker in the world of TV. Oh, his, his famous sort of signature was, I'm going to catapult you two to another level. Hi, how are you doing, Silver? How are you doing? You have your own reality show. He was working on a series called Bombay Vice, the equivalent of Miami Vice, but like an Asian version. And the Amazon jungle, Trey yeah. Eating the Jungle. <laughs> so what happened with them, David? Uh, well, they thought they'd had a massive break with this guy, uh, but it all turned out to be a big lie. Uh, and what's more, the Silver Fox has been at it before. A few years ago, he was jailed for running a Spanish property scam. But on his release, he started a new ruse, pretending to be involved with TV. We've spoken to several of Carmichael's investors. Some of them parted with tens of thousands of pounds, hoping to appear in one of his shows. Um, they're now too embarrassed to, to speak out uh, on camera, or, or to speak out entirely, really. Mm. Um, for Mario and Lisa, it's been tough coming to terms with the fact that their names were used to help scam innocent victims i can't sleep at the minute at night still we round row a lot don't we about it because it has led to a lot of problems and psychologically as well how much can one take and it's only now that other people are coming forward and saying oh, well he's done this to me and he's done that and at the time we didn't know and they're saying that now and i'm thinking i feel sorry for them as well and you can see who else he tried to scam on tonight's programme. Um, do you remember Chico? I think he, he approached him. It's Chico time! That's the one. Um, I, I bumped him. into Chico in a vegetarian restaurant in North London, and it was that thing. Listen, David, you, you, you probably know this. I used to be on TV a long time ago. You still are. I do remember. The 11 o'clock show. A long time ago. A long, long time ago. Very good. But, but it means that if I've been on TV, this is a weird thing, right? If I meet someone else who's been on TV, they feel they can come and talk to me because we have that connection of we used to be on TV. And I was in a restaurant once, and I hadn't been on TV for a long time, and Chico walked over to me and went, hey, man, how's things going? It's like we were friends! It was really? Like, it was <laughs> Did he, say, did he say, hi, man, how things going? Hey, man, how things going? It's That's like, pretty it's cool. Like we've known each other for years, and we only had this really weird, sort of distant connection. So, uh, yeah, uh, who, who were you with at the time? I was with my mate, who was, who was dead impressed. He went, oh, I didn't know you knew Chico. And and you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, we go way back. We go way back, we go way back. Chico. <sighs> uh, I the, funny, the funny thing for me was I was at a, I was at a fish and chip <laughs> shop once, and um, the guy from, um, what's it, Bernie Hill came and said hello to me. Who? Bernie Hill, you know the guy from uh, Boys from the Black stuff? You know, he's in oh, Lord right, of the Rings. Yes, I, yes, I do know, but yeah. And he, kept, and he went, and he went oh, hello, and I was like, oh yeah, I suppose he probably watches Inside Out. I was, uh, okay, the Europe. coolest one, right, I was, I was at uh, LWT, I got in the lift with, uh, with the woman who then became, my, then became my wife. Barbara Windsor walked in, right, never met Barbara Windsor in my life, she went, oh, all right, love, how you doing? You working at the moment? I oh, went, yeah. yeah, you know, Babs, it's up and down, up and down. <laughs> up and down the lift. Before in my life, my wife was well impressed, and that was it. And then, she, yeah. uh, well, you, well, she wasn't the, your wife then, but then, of course, she married that's, you. That's what won. That's, that's what won her around. What else <laughs> is on the show tonight, uh, uh, David? Also tonight, uh, we're looking at uh, fishing quotas for small fishing fleets, and we're at an archaeological site with a difference. Seven thirty, BBC One. David Whiteley, thank you very much. Inside Out tonight, seven thirty, BBC One, as the man says. And a Barbara Windsor got in. All right, love, how's it going? You weren't you busy at the moment? <laughs> up and down, Babs. Up and down. Oh, it's like a line from a Carry On film. <laughs> up and down, Babs. Up and down. Thank you, Sophie. Oh, that was good. I enjoyed that. We got through it to the end, didn't we? Uh, I'm back tomorrow.
Six o'clock every weekday morning, six o'clock. You can find out more about the show by going to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Coming up next, I'm I'm not even going to say. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. How rude. Well, thank you to whoever that was for the last three hours. 